0: The Coco Nation Show is an unscripted live and interactive broadcast. Anything can and will happen. The views and opinions expressed by members of the panel and the live audience are their own and not necessarily those of the Coco Nation Show, its sponsors, affiliates, or subsidiaries. Open minds are encouraged and a sense of humor is recommended. Thank you for being a part of the Coco Nation.
1: Radio Shack?
2: Okay. What?
3: The 80s called.
4: Welcome to the Coco Nation. The world's first live and interactive talk show
5: featuring the Tandy Color Computer and its hardware cousins.
2: Hello,
6: everybody. Welcome to the Coco Nation show. Episode 345. That many? Yes, that's what I got. Yep, 345. Woohoo. And today we have two, uh, two special guests, Glenn Dahlgren and Doug Maston. Hi, guys. Hello. Hello. Yep. Good to be
5: back. Doug, Doug Maston's actually our special guest, and Glenn is our yes. guest
7: co-interviewer.
6: Yes. okay. Here to support. Got to keep the scorecard straight. And today on the panel... We have first up, we've got Ron Delvo. Hey, I like being in the first slot, but hello, everybody. Welcome, welcome. All right, next over, the button pushing monkey. Next up, we got Marco and Grant Leedy. Hello, everybody. Next row, we got L. Curtis Boyle.
5: Welcome to the show, everyone.
6: And Rick Uland. Howdy, folks. And next pitcher is Doug. Hmm. And Ken Waters. How's it going, eh? <laughs> <laughs> and next row we got Glenn Dahlgren. And Nick Morenti's. Hmm. The strong so silent type. Yes. Yeah. You know what? I need that crickets button. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Oh, uh, let's see. Uh, I'm on YouTube. You be digger oh, region. you're loud! Hey, <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see, <laughs> Brian the Music Man. Hey, everybody, how you doing? Welcome to the show. And <laughs> right, then we got Jason Coco Man.
3: Hello, everyone. I've got my Diet Dr Pepper. I'm monitoring the magnetic flux, and my fun <laughs> compass is
0: pointing right towards the Coco Nation. So let's get started. All right, and sneaking wow, in was, at the
6: last second crazy. we got Bob Emery who's just all choked up about it. <laughs>
3: <laughs> He's gagging on Coco Nation. <laughs> Coco Nation is not for internal use. <laughs> <Right>. Coco <laughs> for external use only. Hello.
6: All right, hi Bob. <laughs> okay, first up we today we have Let's see, the interview with Doug. So, Curtis, take it away.
5: Okay, well, welcome to the show, Doug. Um, and for those of you who don't know what Doug did, uh, this is the Contras that was sold by Glenn's company, Sundog Systems.
8: This is <laughs> an actual copy <laughs> oh, of it.
5: Yeah. I got mine, yeah, I think, from Jim Davis so. a, a little bit later. So. ah, right. Let me adjust when he was the lights
6: here. Uh, let me find everybody. There's... Add that one and Glenn's in here somewhere. <laughs> there he is. All right, got ah, you guys. Okay, all together. there we go. So now that people can see it.
0: <laughs>
4: yes. Actually. Ooh, look at that! <laughs> yeah, I've got a few
0: hand-drawn You you win the contest, Glenn. You you have the most copies. <laughs> Good.
5: So at any rate, um, uh, the Contras uh, is a game that has a, a long storied history. It took a, a fair bit of time to release, but it's also one of the most ambitious COCO 3 games ever done, uh, it, especially back then. But even now, I mean, it, we've had some pretty decent games come out in the last you know, 20, 30 years since Contras, and uh, I'd still rank it in the top five, uh, especially for technical difficulty in getting it done, um, which we'll get into in a bit here. But first, I wanted to get into a little bit of early history with Doug. So, Doug, I was going to ask you, first of all, what was the first computer you ever used? And this can include with friends, at school, at home, whatever.
2: Uh, It's the uh, uh, Sinclair ZS80 that my dad bought.
5: Okay, the very first ZX80, not the 81?
2: Uh, The 80, I think. Okay, cool. It might be the 81, though. It's been so long.
9: Was it It black or or was it white? White. White. White, ZX80.
5: Okay. Okay. Uh, Nick, uh, if you can adjust your volume a bit down there, you're kind of... Blowing, no. out, blowing out of there back. Oh
7: yeah. right. we'll do
5: Okay. Um, and then uh, obviously uh if, if you had that at home, you eventually got a cocoa, because obviously you were doing some work in there. Did you get in with the Cocoa One or two, or, or was it not till the Cocoa Three came out?
2: I think it's the Cocoa One I got, the grave the grave case. So Okay.
5: And would you have gotten that fairly early in the Cocoa's life or a little bit later?
2: Um I am had them 4K, so it's pretty early.
5: Okay, 4K. Yeah, that'd be like a D board or an E board type thing. Cool. Yeah. So, it, th- in that case, you probably got the, Z, the the ZX80 and the Coco fairly close to each other. Was your dad quite interested
2: in computers and
10: that you get um, to set
2: quickly? Early. I mean, he um, was kind of interested in what he was about, you know. Uh, so, basically, I got it, you know, and basically, I, I looked at it, you know, and then I basically put it in a drawer, you know, and then like a couple months later, I got it out, you know, and just like taking off, you know, I just start programming. Uh, With basing like
5: that, so okay. So you you obviously went through the manuals, learned basic and stuff.
2: Yeah. Um. What What prompted you? Because you were pretty
5: young at this time too. You were uh, probably in high school or elementary school or school. Uh, Probably
2: uh, middle school. Middle school.
5: Yeah. And how fast did you get into machine language programming?
2: Um. Pretty quick.
5: And, and was there something that kind of inspired you to do that? Uh, like a, an article in a magazine or books or something like that? Uh,
2: uh, basically, all the the best programs were like uh, written in a similar language. Uh, basically, it was too slow for most things.
5: Okay. And did you uh, use the Radio Shack or something, or did you use one of the third party ones like Sircom or Microworks?
0: Or? Uh,
2: yeah, the um, uh, Radio Shack's one. Okay. okay. Um, did you get into machine language when you still were on
5: the Cocoa 1, or did you wait until you got to the Cocoa 3 for that?
2: Uh, no, I got it on the Cocoa uh, 2, I believe.
5: Oh, so you had all three models of the Cocoa at some point?
2: Yeah,
10: yeah. Okay.
5: Now, had you done anything that you were planning on trying to go commercial with, like a game or or whatever else, in their Cocoa 1 and 2 days, or, and just never got to the point of releasing it, or did you kind of... Spend your cocoa one or two time learning, and then on the cocoa three, decided to make the big jump.
2: At that point, I was still learning, so even though I was pretty advanced, you know. So, I was only to the cocoa three that I really start programming uh, commercially. Okay. And, yeah, because um, I mean,
3: for a
5: first for a first project that you're planning on actually you know, you know shipping out and, and selling, that's a pretty big one to write
2: off, to yeah. be honest. <laughs> well, actually, I did a TW eighty, which is an add on for Total Sixty Four. So basically, what I did, I took the uh, Total Rider 64 and basically I modified it to uh, use the capability of the uh, Coco 3.
5: Yeah, the A-conc, um screen and stuff like that. You you, yeah. you did that one?
10: Yeah.
2: So oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, uh, basically, I'm Marty Goodman with an art Fletcher's with my Betty Testers. So that
10: was okay.
2: a real interesting experience. <laughs> so, initially, um, Marty uh, basically, uh, basically wrote a treat of it, you know, that um, a project was sent to me, you know, and basically he's uh, dug on it, you know, about, you know, this is wrong, this is wrong, but the end of the day, he wanted to work with me, you know. Uh, but he's real great to work with, you know. And initially, I, at least I used the test screen, uh, but Marty wanted to do the graphics on it. And uh, pretty much at the end of the project, uh, I basically wrote a, a word processor. That's pretty much how, how advanced it was.
5: Okay. Did you have any access to the original Tellerwriter 64 source code for this, or did you have to disassemble it and kind of hook it. everything in?
4: Yeah. Okay.
5: So basically the same thing I think uh, Bob Vanderpool later did with Tellurider 128, where he you know, did a full Coco 3 version, but yeah, I remember oh. TW80.
2: Yeah.
5: I had no idea that was yours, actually.
2: And actually, Marty said, I so just wrote a word processor, you know, uh, Right, you know, and from there, that's where I kind of sprang up, basically, right, my first real project.
5: Okay. Did you have any other projects for contras then too that were that maybe even kept internally just to yourself? That were were yeah, that you
2: mentioned? A couple, you know, I, had a, I basically, wrote a basic Uh Also going through some old discs. Uh, I actually wrote a similar. Uh, I didn't. I didn't complete it though, but because uh, um, um, uh, Phantasm is so great, though.
5: Yeah. Yeah. We keep hearing about it.
10: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs>
5: Yeah. we've got permission from most of the original authors now to actually get it released if we can, but uh, I think there's just one left uh, who was it when I've done yes, Dave's friends? <laughs> Oh, you still have it there cool Yeah. that's pretty <laughs> awesome
2: too.
11: does he still have his hardware
2: yeah, actually,' another question do you
11: do you
5: still have any of your, any of your cocos or all of them or
2: uh, pretty much all of them. Um, my dad did uh, uh, re- uh basically uh, built the case for it, you know, but uh, I put it in the shed and brushed it rusted out, so I threw it out.
5: That was like a repacked into a, a PC yeah. style case.
2: I'll see. I have a picture of it. Um, sure.
5: I know in the 90s, especially,
8: that was really, really popular. I will note that old. uh, that disc is red and uh, definitely came from me. <laughs> <laughs>
2: you really see it, but in the background there. You see the uh, in the computer on the right right side here is the repack and also the I did also my dad repacked the keyboard too. Okay. Let's see here, right there. That's the a
5: little bit blurry, but I can kind of see the keyboard there. So on the that's side the there. I'm out.
2: Yeah, that's all the only picture I have of it. So.
5: Yeah, I don't have most of mine anymore either. I've got one, I think, when I was my Cocoa one with sixteen K and tape or something. I think I have one black mm-hmm. and white picture left of that. Yeah. So when you when you got the Coleco 3, obviously you'd spend some time figuring out the graphics and the sound and the interrupts and everything else that got added mm-hmm. in with the gimme chip. Um, and I, I, it sounds like TW eighty would have been like a first, maybe not the first, but a good attempt at learning some of that stuff, like how the hardware and the MMU worked, etc., to to get that done. So um, what made you decide to pick Contras as your your first major commercial game to go after? And it's based on the Nintendo version, I believe, not the arcade version, correct?
2: Right, the Nintendo version. Uh, basically, I got up with uh, Color Venture with Eric uh, Tellus, and uh, basically we uh, started um, decide on you know, what a project to do, you know. So uh, at one point, we were looking at doing a desktop program. And then we went to basically a program called City Crisis, which was never uh, released, you know. Uh, basically, um, I think at that point, uh, he graduated college, you know, and kind of went his way. I don't think there's any problems or anything like that, though, but that's when I uh, I. Uh, talk with uh, Glenn about Contra's. Okay.
5: Because, I, I mean, like I mentioned before, it's it's still one of the most technically advanced Coco 3 games pretty well ever released, and uh, right. to pick something of that scope as your first major one, uh, w- was it just like, you know, swarming self-confidence in your part, or is it just a game you really I liked and that you was, wanted uh, to see done on the Cocoa? A, or? I don't
2: know. I was, in, you know, when like I, I was 18 years old, you know, and I thought I was pretty good programmer, you know, so... <laughs>
5: So, yes. so self confident. You were, you were confident in your in your oh, yeah, skill definitely. to do it then.
10: Yeah. yeah. But and then, uh, now, oh, okay.
2: But the problem is, I, I never never d- develop a, a game before, so at the end, it kind of uh, weighed on me. What what worked initially, my development process, you know, at the end was uh, bogging it down. So
4: yeah.
5: Well, I know for any 512 gig game, I think, uh, you know, Glenn, Dave, and a few others we've talked to that have done that kind of thing. And when you're running back with the old floppy drives back in the day and stuff. and oh, yeah. <laughs> <it's>, <laughs> At least it wasn't tape. Because mm-hmm. um, we've heard horror stories from Rick and Dale about those. Um, so... When you started the project, I'm presuming you would have started this kind of on your own and not Glenn was not in the picture at all at this point, or did you? Oh,
2: definitely not. So I, was, I did it on my own. I said, said um, "Eric, went off, not." Um, I think he graduated college and uh, started his job. You know, I believe. You know, at that point, you know, and uh, city crisis wasn't really going anywhere. Um, uh, he did have me meet up with an artist, you know, but it really wasn't, you know, the level I wanted. You know, I'm kind of professors on things, you know, so. Um, So that's when I sprint over to Contras, you know, because I played all the time on Nintendo I loved it, you know. Okay.
5: So at that point, you wouldn't have had Phantasm, obviously. So you've been using Disc Adtasm from Tandy, I presume?
2: Uh, I used uh, the um, disc version that had the patch for the disc. Okay, okay. Did
5: you have uh, Uh, patches for the Coco 3 too, like the 80-column, 40-column stuff too, or just the, the plain old 32, do you remember? That would have been true too. One. Yeah. Yeah, because Roger Schrag, I know patched the cartridge one for disc early on. a lot yeah, that's of us used that one. It,
2: so yeah. And then right, right, uh, the cartridge version.
5: Okay, and then um, as far as you know, doing graphics and you have, like, one of the unique things about Contras is that it's not only got a soundtrack, but it's a digitized sample soundtrack. Like you've got like drums and stuff like that. It wasn't just the organ music we were used to like music et cetera.
10: Right.
5: Um, like say, you know, Crystal or not Crystal City, um, Xenix by Jeremy Spiller. It's just using this you know, store sort of the Musica Lyra mm-hmm. style engine. But yours was actually more like a you know, like a SID chip or something with digitized samples or something. Right. Um, how did how did you do the sound design and the and the graphics? Did, did you use tools like Color Max 3 or Color Max 3 Deluxe or Coco Max 3? Or did you do it all by poking in values, or did you write your own graphics that are like Nick likes to do?
2: Uh I think I had my own um version. And, um, basically I sampled it, you know, my, basically, uh, uh my dad actually started the circuit for, um, uh, to decide the sound samples, you know, I was able to cord it in and from there I was able to edit, you know.
5: Oh, so you weren't like doing it through the six-bit ADC on the, on the joysticks or I think You actually had a, some special hardware made to do uh, it?
2: Uh, I think it was through the, um, the joystick port though, but I had a little conversion for it. Okay. Yeah, from your right, it um, came okay, from, um, let me see here, from this
5: book. So oh, okay. There. Is that a William Barton one? I didn't quite catch yeah. it. About his.
2: I think yeah. this SE was the circuit I, that um, we used for it.
5: Okay. Yeah, because that was one thing handy. I, I remember using that myself. Uh, not what I soldered it, of course, but
10: mm-hmm. one of
5: my friends here locally he might even be in the chat. Um, he, he soldered one up, and we, we actually used it for that. Um, so did you record some of the sounds right straight from the Nintendo game itself, or did you okay, try, try to create some of your own as well, or?
2: Uh, no, I probably sample everything. So, okay. yeah, It's very really tedious, you know, I'm not really a musical, so it was, uh, it was a pretty <laughs> challenge.
5: Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. Yeah, because I mean, if I remember correctly, you're using the three twenty by two twenty five mode, so you got the extended vertical, and you're using the hard hardware horizontal scroll register oh, throughout yeah. too. So that wasn't something we saw too often in that time period. Maybe yeah. Crystal City, um, Pac dude Three D Monster Maze, and a couple of others used it. I, I think maybe some of the Tandy ones might have used it too, but mm-hmm. or they might have I redrawn. it. Again. I was talking
2: to Eric with Color Venture about it, you know, uh, basically we um, at that point nobody was using that the horizontal scroll, you know. Uh, but um, we decided at the end to go with it, you know. Even though we knew we'd probably lose some sales because uh, the 86 version didn't was at that point, you know, wasn't uh, the same, you know.
5: Yeah. So, about what do you do? You remember roughly what year you started working contras, like seriously? Because um, I know the first ads with Glenn. And we'll get into how you two got connected in, in, in a bit here, mm-hmm. but. Uh, the first ads were saying new for 91, which was the original plan. And then it eventually came out in 93. But I'm imagining you must have started this quite a bit before just from the scope of the project. So do you remember roughly, was it
2: still in the 80s when you started on it? Or? Um, see, so it was probably 87 because it was after TDB 80. So, but like I said, we had a period where we're uh, trying different ideals. Actually, I, I did start the desktop publisher uh, a little bit on that. So I had to a, a little bit of quote on that. You were kind of
5: bouncing between projects then at the same time.
2: Yeah, I'm, I'm all over the place sometimes. <laughs> so
5: oh, that's... good. I'm not the only one.
2: <laughs> yeah. Okay.
5: So for the for the graphics itself, like you've got some like overlay stuff, like you have your little medals for your spare men and stuff like that. So did you have like two different, I haven't actually looked at the the code in it made too much. So is it two, basically two horizontal scrolling screens that you're flipping between and so you can draw that smoothly so you don't get flicker or? Or do you remember those details?
2: Yeah, I, I used the um, paste flip, so there was the uh, two different screens.
5: Okay, so that's like a pop star pilot that Nick did, where to get the smooth scroll, he actually has two alternating horizontal scrolling screens, just to yeah, know, but offset. But that mine that, wasn't
2: uh, flipping, though. I mean, it wasn't a space over there, so because you can, you can go, you know, back, you know. Okay,
5: and then how how far along did you get on it before you and Glenn hooked up, and then from both of you, like how how did you guys end up, you know? being coming aware of each other to, to, to get it sold through sundog eventually.
2: Uh, just the ads in uh, rainbow magazine at the point.
5: So you wrote to Glenn then or?
2: Yeah. Yeah. And I probably had the, I don't know, probably, probably half of the first uh, level done at that point. My got in contact with Glenn.
5: Okay. And then you sent like a sample of, of, the code running at that point for him to try out or? Yeah. Yeah. And Glenn, what was your first impression uh, of seeing it?
8: Uh, so I, I don't, I don't remember a ton from that time, <laughs> so I'm gonna, I, I think what happened was I, I got a lot of submissions. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I kept my eye out for, you know, something that was really special and this clearly was something that, that had a lot of potential. Um, and so, and, you know, in the cuckoo world, we did not shy away from things that were similar, uh, to other products. <laughs> uh, so. <laughs> any official licenses yeah. <laughs> yeah anything that had a uh, a tie-in to something that was really popular was always a a good bet uh so it was really clear that this thing um could potentially have legs and so i was very interested
5: okay and and did you guys kind of like try to tie up a, a contract or something immediately or did you want to wait till you'll see further progress type thing do you remember I, I, I don't know what your normal thing for you know hand, handling third party developers is as far as that was concerned.
8: Well, if it if it was really clear to me, if it felt clear that he had the capability to make this game, he was showing me examples of his work, um, and so yeah, I if if it's if I have a, a reasonable confidence, I'm going to want to put a contract forth, um, and so I'm pretty sure that's what we did relatively early on. I wouldn't have done anything as far as you know production and advertising until I felt you know we were further on, but. I want to make sure that that product or I would have wanted to make sure that that product was exclusive to us Um, because there were some others that other authors out there who um, who didn't feel that way. And that was much less interesting for me if there was multiple people out there representing that product. So I would have wanted to get that contract in place.
5: Okay. Uh, and do you remember, uh, like, like your first ads that were mentioning it were for the new for 91 appeared late in 1990, of course. Um, how far along was the game at the point where the first ads started coming out? Do either of you remember? You remember it, Doug? No. <laughs> <laughs> I know you mentioned that you know, the very first time that Glenn saw it, you were about halfway done the first level. So I'm assuming some progress had been made since. I'm, su- I'm
8: sure that progress again I, i'm kind of speculating here as to my own how i would react in a situation like that i don't remember specifically i know that progress had been made and i know that i had assurances that he felt confident that the product could be done within a certain period of time otherwise i wouldn't have advertised it um but definitely it wasn't done um and uh but i i felt like it could be and it was i mean the product had such potential and I think at that point I really wanted to have a, a tent pole in that ad. Um, I wanted something to attract attention, and that was it was perfect. And so I wanted to say that, you know, and that might have been me getting ahead of myself. Obviously, you don't want to advertise a product until you've got it. Um, but I I really wanted to get that out there. Um and we were at that point headed toward, you know, the decline of the market. And yeah. so I didn't want to wait until the market had declined so much that. It wouldn't have made it as big of a splash, and so yeah. I probably, I'm, I'm sure I got ahead of myself.
10: Yeah.
5: Well, you weren't the only one. I mean, Tandy is obviously famous or infamous for the Last Ninja being advertised in their catalogs, and you know, <laughs> two programmers hit that one and couldn't get it done.
8: Yeah. So yeah, stuff happens. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
5: And you, you had other launch titles as well. I mean, that was the same time. I think Quest for Thelde. That's when you took over Jeremy Spillers from him selling it uh, through a different company, et cetera, too. So. You had actually, a whole launch for ninety one, basically.
8: Quest for Thelda um, and uh, Crystal City and Xenix are examples of people who had multiple contracts um, with other dis- distributors. And honestly, i i I don't want to I don't want to say anything out of school, but um, at least for as far as Thelda was concerned, he eventually did make that um, exclusive because I paid him, and he wasn't getting paid from a lot of the other sales that he was he was making. So. I I really tried very hard to keep um, Sundog's reputation as a place that people could go and get paid. I mean, I showed them exactly what was sold, when it was sold, how much was made, and gave them their cut. So I pride myself on that.
5: Yeah, and I've heard stories about some other ones, especially near the end of the cocoa market when a lot of them were just struggling to survive. Yeah, you know they they do you know we're, we can't pay you yet because we just had to buy discs and manuals and we're out of money now type things. So yeah, yeah, it's a absolutely. tough market at the end of the cocoa.
8: Although I don't, I mean, I, I, I know that I hear that. I just don't buy into it. You can always, if you're getting money in from a product you need to be able to pay your authors. That's just, that is an expense that has to happen.
5: Yeah. Um. So the game itself, and I probably should be playing some here so you guys can kind of see what it uh, looks like. Actually, I'll put, I'll show some of the ads first before I do that. But uh, so this is the first launch ad. Uh, this was from Rainbow November 1990, and it was kind of the preview of what's going to happen um, for 91 from Sundog. And as you can see here, it's it's prominent with with the other new releases or new new to Sundog releases. Crystal City was already being sold. Uh, I can't remember the name of Jeremy's little uh, Ghost Sub Software, I think it was. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Scenic course too. And then you had the other mainstays that you already had out like Sinistar and Kim Guy and Soundtracks, et cetera. So it was one of the three flagship ones and it was the only one requiring 512k. Now at that point 512k required games were pretty rare. Um so this was one that was really showed the potential to Cocoa. I mean it took three discs to load it, etc. so it's uh it's a large scale project. Um but then it, it it encountered some some issues and and we'll get a little bit into that. Uh, I know Doug you were just you know in high school at the time and you had you had university coming up and and you know stuff in your personal life that was kind of distracting you from things and, and making it difficult to, to to continue on with the project um and we've heard that from other people before too like sometimes you just get overwhelmed with life and especially at that age i mean everything's overwhelming at least when i remember going to college my first year it was like oh my god i have homework now i have to study quite a bit for it. i'm like high school you can just breeze through it um but uh, basically, it eventually got announced, I think it was the January 93 rainbow, you had taken out a little partial page ad saying that it's now completed, and it took three programmers and two years to complete and everything else. So, And then in March, yeah, you actually had the official uh, release of it being that it's actually now available, uh, which is here. And uh, this is actually when it went on sale. Now, unfortunately, this is late enough that even Rainbow wasn't <laughs> for much longer after this.
8: Yeah, I, I mean, you can actually see the progression of the ads um, because we went from that first one you showed. I actually had just um, graduated in, in college, and I was now working for um, Legend Entertainment, and so that was actually taking a lot of my time. But Rainbow was starting to downsize, um, and I went from a full color inside front cover ad to that one color, sort of red, black, and white. Yeah. Um and uh and then this was a half page. So you see things were were going the way they were and uh it just didn't pay to advertise in, in rainbow uh as much. Yeah. So that was a real shame. You know, uh Contras could have done incredibly well if we had released it when we when I first announced it. Yeah.
5: Well that that point too I, I guess like Tandy by the time you first announced it was still selling Cocoa 3s, and I was kind of well-known. It was on its last legs as far as being sold there. I think right. Australia and Canada already dropped it by that point yeah. uh, from Intertan. But uh, by the time it came out, you know, Tandy had not been producing Cocoa 3s for a year or two. And uh, Rainbow was down to being in newspaper format and 16 pages. <laughs> oh, it just makes me sad. Yeah. But, uh, but but you did get it out. Now, um, we'll talk a little bit. Uh, Jeff Steidel actually came on to help finish the programming for it. And uh, he was known for doing Photon, which is another great original game uh, with great music and stuff too. And he also did the Graphic Express 2.0, which we talked about in one of your interviews, Glenn. It was something that uh, a lot of us got and tried and said, this is really cool. And then we read the manual and we kind of missed interpreted what you had meant about you know licensing and, and being able to use the engine. We kind of went, oh, no, we're going to get charged every copy. I'm not going to use this. And then a lot of us just went on <laughs> to do something else, which I, I wish we'd talked to you in person because, as you explained, that wasn't exactly what you meant.
8: Yeah, I think that was Jeff's uh, concern. I I kind of wanted people just to go off and use it because um, that's, that's the, the best way to have success, you know, just don't limit people. But Jeff was very concerned about how, uh how we'd be represented there. And 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 he was a you know very, very smart guy. And I really wanted him uh, uh doing stuff for us. So, you know, I, I let him let him establish those those requirements. By the way, the name, the Contras, uh, I came up with that, you know, that's not too far of a stretch, but I couldn't figure out why it was called Contra to begin with. I did I don't even know what the story was there because all I knew was the Contras. So that's why I figured we'd call it The Contras. Yeah. I know when I bought it
5: uh, back in, in, in the early 90s there, like I hadn't realized that the Nintendo version was actually quite a bit different than the arcade one. Because I played the arcade one a lot. I used to win it. I would mm. win the game. Wow. And of course, that has those little 3D sections you're running through, and you've got that trip up the waterfall and a bunch of things that you know aren't in the Nintendo or the Coco 3 version. But I actually found that kind of cool because I knew the arcade game well enough. Like it, it was not... I wouldn't say boring, but it was, you know, I knew what was going to happen. You know, you get more alien infested as you go on and playing this one. I was pleasantly surprised that, oh, there's levels I've never seen before. And there's different things here. I've never seen before. So this was quite, quite cool. And another really nice thing about this one was a simultaneous two player play, um, which unfortunately does have a couple bugs. And I remember, I think you'd mentioned that, um, I care who it was with Doug or Jeff or both, but not, uh, some somebody didn't have enough, testers around locally to try the two-player thing. <laughs> yeah, so,
10: yeah.
8: <laughs> that's right.
5: So it does freeze up once in a while in two-player mode. I, I have seen that, but uh, it's still a great game. Anyway, I'm going to play a little bit of the clip here. This is uh, from Contra Epic Core uh, our YouTube channel, and I know we've covered another uh, YouTube channel that covers every version of Contra's ever made for any machine, any anytime, anywhere, and they actually played oh. it right through the end, too, and did a full review of it. I don't know if you've seen that, Glenn and Doug, but uh, I right. can send you a link for it later if you want. Cool. I will warn you, they're a bit critical. <laughs> but I mean, they're used to playing in the arcade and you know the more yeah. modern system. They're so compared to
8: everything in existence,
5: you know, I, every I other it. version of Contras in existence right. is exactly what they did. And you gotta take that with not a grain of salt, but they they don't take into consideration the hardware it's running Absolutely. on how much of an accomplishment it is. Yeah. Of course, you got your famous uh Sun Dog logo coming in. Tom, we're telling me that for me. And this is the uh, the text uh, loader, and this is where you have to load in all the discs. And that where it mentions it's programmed by Jeff, and then when you get to the actual graphic version, it's the program by Doug. So it's kind of got both sets of credits in there. And I think if I remember, <clears throat> this is probably about the only game that required three discs at the time. I mean, um, a couple like, C- King's
8: Quest 3 and, and Leisure of Lair, I think. Had well, Sinistar no did, um, and Quest of the Star-Lord did. Um, I mean, I had enough of, uh, a few double floppies. Double yeah, flippies, I remember so a, I a few two, two ones. Like, I think even Crystal City required two.
5: <clears throat> but mostly there were, like, your adventure games, if you wanted a really expensive adventure game. But as far as arcade games, there weren't there weren't a ton that were Sinistar. Yeah, Sinistar did. Yeah, Sinistar I mean, did, yeah. I like the fact that you actually list the files that are loading, so if something went wrong, you actually would know what, what file needed fixing or trying to replace. And you don't think it just went off and
8: froze up on you? Yeah. Some other ones did. <laughs>
10: yeah.
8: <laughs> I'm not surprised.
5: These crossfades. Your first hint, you're getting horizontal scrolling. <laughs> A little bit of the demo with the uh, sound effects.
1: And when you actually play the
5: actual game, it gets better, because now you got background music with, you know, more digitized samples than organ music, plus the sound effects over top of it, plus horizontal scrolling. Is that too loud for everybody here? I should probably ask. Now, I'll just turn the volume down a little bit. We kinda, I just want to make sure people can hear the sound effects and the music a bit. Yeah, I can, it's
7: fine. Yeah.
5: OK. Um, I wanted to ask Doug here. Like, uh, the, I've taken a look at the screenshots from the Nintendo version, and a lot of the, the shapes, like some of the background mountains and trees and stuff, is pretty well identical color differences a little bit, because the machines are different. But you wouldn't have had access to the original ROMs, so how did you actually duplicate the graphics on the Cocoa? Uh,
2: basically, I had the screen up on the Nintendo version, Basically, I was copied onto a graph paper and At the end, uh, basically, I copied directly over. But uh, in the early stages, I, I did on, on 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 graph paper.
5: And do you you still have some of that graph paper? I think you were showing yes, us at the fest. Actually, yeah. I'll, I'll I'll stop this sharing just for a little bit. I'll pause this because we'll go through some of the levels and stuff too. But uh, if you want to show, uh, you know, what it was like developing in the old days. <laughs> yeah.
8: Now we're all spoiled with online graphics editors that can you know do render three D shapes for you and stuff. But I remember I showed my my coding of hand for Warrior King to Dave yeah. Dyson just laughed at me. The <laughs> oh yeah,
5: there's one of the sprites itself there. Yeah, and you got which which palettes you use for each color and blades,
2: with the other you know. Yeah,
5: because you have to animate them between frames. Yeah, you
2: know? um, there's mine. Notes on it too, but um, but the data structure. So, and also I noticed that I didn't realize I did this, but uh, for the screens, if you look at the bond there, as I wrote it in. No, oh, okay, how the, the complete block to go go where. I from.
8: was I was about to ask if you just stared at the screen and froze it and then just drew it, but
2: yeah,
5: you
8: see yeah those those would yeah. be really helpful.
2: Yeah, and that's one of those that. game guides for the Nintendo version? Oh, yeah. It uh, came from magazine, so that's how they did the, the first level. <laughs>
5: so, <laughs> I, I do remember talking to Dave Dyes, like, when he was starting to try to duplicate stuff like Gauntlet, where he'd go to the arcade and, like, yeah, have a tape, tape recorder to record the sounds off the arcade machine <laughs> and, you know, digitize it back at home off cassette. And... He did not like doing sound. I remember that. And here's I, had, that I helped him out a lot.
2: For the level. You see the notes on there? Okay. So the, the
5: blotch So did it. you actually hand write some of the assembly code or did you just go straight in the assembler to try stuff or a mix of both?
2: Well, basically on this that's for the level, you know, so it's the blotch, you know. So I did that manually. So I think it's yeah, on the compressor thing, you know, to do to do, you know. To draw it down instead of doing, you know, hand by hand. <laughs>
5: Sorry, Glenn, you were saying too, something too? Or?
8: Oh, I I mean, that's exactly where I was. I was doing exactly the same. I was typing in my levels, and uh, and then I got laughed at. And so I said, all right, fine, I'll spend, you know, half a day writing an editor. And so I could just lift up blocks and put them in place, and then just dump out my level. I was just thinking, why didn't I ever do that in the beginning? Because it took
10: so <laughs> much less time.
8: Yeah, I know Nick does that now. He writes a little basic
5: program, actually. Because mm-hmm. now yeah, we got emulators was. you can overclock, right? So. It doesn't take that long to draw when you overclock it to 90 right. megahertz. But I think, yeah, like the, the little game that I've worked on off and on, it's it's the same thing. I wrote a little graphic editor with tiles, and you can just drop, drop them over. It, may, it does make things so much easier. Absolutely. So the first you can see le- it. Go, you yeah. can see it, you know? It's yeah. on the screen. Yeah, exactly. You know what it's
8: supposed to look like.
5: <laughs> so, Doug, after you did the first level of that, I'm assuming like the other levels later on, actually, maybe I'll fast forward the video. I'll show that again here to level two, because the levels actually... It's not like you're just running through mountains, the same thing. Like, they actually, they change quite a bit here. So on the later levels, did you write your own little editor, too, or were you still doing some of that by hand?
2: I did it by hand. Uh, basically, uh, from what I remember, um, remembered is I did uh, probably 100% of the first level. Uh, the second level, I probably did about, probably about 80%. And on the third level, uh, I probably only did the, the background graphics. And then uh, Jeff did the all the rest.
5: Now, your, was your original intention basically to duplicate the Nintendo One verbatim? Because I know well, Jeff definitely. did take some creative <laughs> changes on on, on the yeah. later levels.
2: Yeah, I, I should sort have of scaled it back. in you know, at the end, but you know, as yeah, you know, that's one of the things. So looking back, I should sort have of, you know scaled it back. So, and also, I know at the end, I also was trying to do the um, with my with my incident. My incident wasn't re- written written to do the vertical scroll. You know, and I want to do the vertical scroll. So that's one, like the waterfall, you know, level.
5: Okay. So. But for those, uh, and the viewers that are watching here, you can obviously, the second level here is a completely different animal. There's no trees and stuff. You're now going through a kind of mechanical complex. I don't know, a lot of people coming after you, et cetera. Now, obviously, the uh, the bonuses here, I think only one of them actually ends up, or it only ends up doing one action, basically, uh, rapid fire, I believe. Um, and I'm used to, like, the spread gun and everything else from the original. So I'm assuming that was probably part of a time crunch, or did you, were you guys starting to run out of memory at 512k? That was another question I wanted to ask, because you're loading so much stuff off three disks, and a disk, you know, holds 150k or whatever. So were you guys literally running out of RAM to start doing some of this stuff at that point? Because you have digitized sound samples and music and all the level maps, the tiles, the sprites, etc.?
2: And I don't believe I was uh, anywhere close to running out memory, but I saw I, did, I didn't do all the levels here, though. So.
5: And and Glenn, do you know was was Jeff by the final like with all the stages that are starting to tighten I, up, or is it just I more think, of a deadline thing? To
8: Yeah, I think he asked me, "Is it okay if I only do one?" And I said, "If it if it gets us done, then yes, it's okay."
4: <laughs> okay. So, fast forward to another level here.
5: Or the end of the level, anyway. So, here's uh, the hangar zone. Again, completely different tiles again. I I do notice um, that the engine, sometimes you're getting a lot of stuff happening on the screen, like a lot of opponents and a lot of moving things like this, that it does start to bog down a bit, so you guys were hitting the limit of the the 6809. I I would have loved to see what you guys could have done with a 6309 in this case, but...
2: Oh, definitely.
8: Man, I never got this far.
5: There's a lot of cool elements. I mean, like I said, a lot of it's from the Nintendo version, but then uh, the, the later levels do take a bit of a, a change from that, so it's a little bit varied, so it becomes its own unique game. And that was something that, that one uh, channel where the guy and the girl go through and review every Contra ever made there, and they were actually enjoying the fact that they did not know what was going to happen next. Because the first levels are going, okay, it's a duplication of the uh, Nintendo one, and we'll just play it through. And then they start getting later levels going, wait a sec, this is totally different. So actually, I think that ended up being a plus rather than a minus of not completely duplicating the Nintendo version. It well, uh, allowed cute. some originality. There you can see it's bogging a little bit, but mm-hmm. and you got to mix a palette animation, the hardware scrolling animation. Like you're you're pulling all the stops here. Actually, that brings up an interesting question from your comment there, Glenn. Um, I'm presuming you were probably good enough or knew the insides of your own games well enough that you probably could complete them all. But for the ones that came in from people other than yourself, were, did you find it difficult completing any of those games? Like, how do you do testing yourself if you can't actually get to the final levels?
8: Yeah, um, there were a few games where I didn't play all the way through. Um, and I just either didn't have the time or the, um, the talent uh, to get to the end. Um, which I, I kind of trusted my authors to, to do that on their own if they're developing it, um, but it also depended on the game. I remember when I was doing most of the work for Sundog, I was also uh, full-time trying to, to get my Bachelor's of Science in computer, in computer Science at college. So I was doing finals, I was doing uh, projects, I was in the lab most of the time, so I really had to spend the time where I could.
5: Yeah. And then, Doug, you, you hit some of the same thing, too, because you were getting ready to go to college and stuff, too, so, and you, plus you still had your school studies, et cetera, in high school, you know, why, why are you trying to get a monster game like this done at the same time? So I imagine you you were under time crunches that probably became quite stressful.
2: Yeah, I, I believe I was in high school at that point, though. Uh, I was going to um, um, junior college at that point.
5: And were you going like a full-time student or a part-time student at this uh, point?
2: Full-time at that point. Full-time.
5: Yeah, so you had a full, you know, most, most full-time students have maybe a little part-time job, and then you're mm-hmm. trying to, you know, pull off a game of this magnitude as well.
8: I was lucky in that I had some really uh, sympathetic professors that gave me credit for the work that I was doing on the color computer. One of my <laughs> in, independent studies was uh, the uh, UI work I did for soundtracks, and my graphics final was Kium guy to be Ninja.
5: <laughs> yeah, I never had that opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> I think I, I got to use OS9 Pascal a couple times and basically 9 before that because it was close to Pascal for one of my Pascal classes, I could cheat a little bit but not not actually use the Coco per se for doing things. Yeah, these these flamethrower things. This is one of the places where it tends to slow down if you get a lot of stuff going on the screen at once. Um, I like. I'm, I'm seriously considering at some point in the future of going into the Contras disk images and see if I can turn native mode on just to give that an extra ten to fifteen percent boost, and just see if that kind of smooths out, you know, where the CPU is getting a bit overloaded. Now, Doug, did you notice that the CPU was getting overloaded on some of the levels you worked on originally, or were, were the levels a bit simpler at that point so that they didn't? quite you know use as much juice of the CPU.
2: Probably not, but uh, well based on time the, like the music with the horizontal scrolling like that. So
5: Yeah I mean it, it's impressive to get you know a multi-track digitized sound sample music track plus the, the sound samples itself. And and plus, you know, even with the horizontal scrolling not taking much CPU time for the horizontal scrolling though you have to page flip between the two to to, to get it smooth. But having all these sprites and bullets and everything else all going at the same time, too, like there's a, there's a lot to keep track of. And I don't know what the sampling rate... Do you remember the sampling rate you used for this sound? It's um, like 4 kilohertz or something? 5, 6, maybe?
2: I oh, can give you the audio on
5: that? So no, I've, seen, I've seen a variety. Like, Nick, I think most of the time yours are usually around the 6 to 8 kilohertz. And if wow. I remember Jeremy Spiller mentioned that Xenix, um, I think he's using like 3.5 or 4. 'cause he wanted to concentrate more on the graphics and the music.
7: Nick, do you remember what yours are? Yeah, they're around the six, seven mark, yeah.
5: I do want to show a little bit of the enemy layer here a little bit later here. I like these little touches like go back with blood stuff.
2: <laughs> That's <was> Jeff. <laughs>
5: Yeah. <laughs> Shows a little bit of a sense of humor for it too. And I know the project was a bit stressful on everybody because it was, you know, taking quite a while and it's very complicated and huge. And can have we covered Contras on the Game On Challenge? I can't remember. Yes, I think, yes I think we, we did. did. Quite a while ago, I think. Yeah.
7: I so sure uh, the, the firing is where you just hold the button down and it just fires continuously. If, if you
5: have the power-up, it does rapid fire, I think.
7: If I remember oh. correctly.
5: And yeah, I'm, like the arcade game original, you actually have the scrolling credits at the end and the kind of explanation
8: of what went on. Oh, I must have done some sound work. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
5: But you get yet another. I'll just back it up a little bit here. But another music track uh, for this credits too. Oh, really? Yeah, it's not the same as the main one. one. But you can hear how good the engine is. Like it's not just playing the organ music like most games oh, yeah, did. It's yeah, yeah. you you got drums and. Anyway, I'll stop sharing that. Anyway, it still is one of the most impressive games on the Coco Three period. I will stay on that till I die. <laughs> so I wanted to uh, thank thank both of you, uh, Glenn for uh, you know getting it out there, even though it took so long to get it completed. Doug for you know initiating the whole project in the first place and you know pushing the Cocoa 3 to its limits. Um you know, in, in an alternate time universe when in, when Tandy, you know, put a 6309 in instead of a six eight oh nine, because it was available at the time and you know what they could have done then, but, uh, and also, uh, I thank you to uh, Jeff for, you know, contributing his part of finishing the project off and stuff too.
2: Yeah, definitely.
5: So, um, I, I guess for both of you, I mean, considering this was one of the last projects that Sundog released and, and Doug, this was the last Coco game I think you ever did.
10: Oh,
5: yeah. Um, looking back on all the stress and, and the, you know, the, the sheer magnitude of the project there, how proud are you of it now seeing it again? Like we're just playing there and, and then knowing you know, how it compares to other Cocoa three games before or since um, what, what is, what is your kind of your, your final thoughts on it? Like, was it, was it worth all that, the time and trouble do you think, or, 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 or can you be proud of the accomplishment even if, you know, things didn't go super smoothly or. I'll let Dog
2: start. <laughs> I, mean, I, was, I never thought, you know, I'd be a, to a game you know and to come out you know as good as it did
5: so so you're, you're still proud of it then oh definitely yeah.
2: of course uh there's a lot of things i wish i'd done different though on the development you know so, with well, the said, things in the beginning you know that really helped me you on know, the piece of the development forward you know at the end uh was a bottleneck so because yeah. um basically i know initially i was using that uh, at tasm and my compile times were, I don't know, approximately about 45 minutes, you know, just for one compile.
12: Mm. And
2: after I got uh, Phantasm, basically it got dropped in about half. So, and and that gave me uh, more leverage, you know, but I sort of uh, rethought my processes, you know, both the, you know, uh, so it didn't compile as much, you know, and that would help with the development. But yeah.
5: How, yeah. how late in the program did you get Phantasm? Like, were you... F- Right, like we you starting the second level or something. Actually, actually,
2: wasn't uh, at is the one from the. Uh, oh, what's the other one from the guy from Las Vegas? Uh, Sir Comp. Yeah, Sir Comp. Yeah, I, I was using that.
5: Bill Bill Vergona's, yeah, yes, yeah. So I mean, he actually had a couple of three specifics. Uh, yeah, similar to.
8: As, as far as the timeline goes, I must have given it to him immediately, as soon as uh, we entered into a contract, because there's no reason I wouldn't.
2: I know you gave me like the soundtracks, which I used. Mm. The, the samples, you know. Mm-hmm. I you know cl- they clean them up like that. So,
8: yeah. yeah, but I, yeah, I've I got soundtracks actually back here myself. So yeah, I would have just checked with Dave, make sure everything was was kosher, and then I would have uh, sent it right over because Lord knows I wanted to, you know, mm-hmm. decrease that that compile time. Yeah. Yeah.
5: Yeah, taking take forty five three quarters of an hour to compile once to try to fix one bug at a time. Oh my god! <laughs>
8: Believe me, I mean I knew personally how much of an improvement that that made to my process. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I'll just I'll answer your question as well, um, which is, you know, was it worth it? Um, and I will say financially, you know, probably not. Um, from a heartbreak perspective, it was it was really hard, really hard on everybody involved. But we're sitting here talking about it. Um, so anything that sort of leaves a legacy like that, uh, I think is absolutely worth it. I mean it's a it's a definitely a monumental achievement and uh, it, it put its uh, its mark in Cocoa history and so that is worth it. Yeah, I would agree with
5: that? I, I remember when Doug uh, approached me at not the last cocoa fest, but I think one or two before that, and he, he was, he was a little bit shy. I camera was blabbering about nitrous nine or something stupid, but he kind of came up to me from, uh, from behind and, and mentioned that he was, you know, Doug Maston. And I, I, I think if I remember correctly. I paused Contras, Doug Mastin. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't, I, you know, I hadn't gotten hold of him before that. And, uh, we started talking about possibly getting him on the show. And I, I think it took a year or two before we finally managed to arrange it all. And then, you know, there were some other issues we had to delay it for a bit. Um, but, uh, I'm, I'm glad it actually has happened now, but, uh, yeah, I mean, even even today, it's still one of the best Coco Three games. Period. You know, and on the technical side especially, but it's also fun to play. Like it's we we get like I see a lot of Amiga games on the Amigos channel where the it's like a tech demo. It looks and sounds awesome, plays like crap. And that's not the case here. This this actually has both. It's it's fun to play. It's really fun to play in two player. Someday one of us is going to have to go in and see if we can figure figure out the last couple of bugs there. Um, you know, cause it does freeze up every once in a while, only on two player. It doesn't do it on one. Um, but yeah, I would like to like to do that. And maybe six or nine eyes, you know, it a little bit just to smooth out the places where it's getting really, really busy. Now, uh, to go a bit further on um, after, after that happened, you were in college, uh, you were kind of getting into other things, Doug. So what, and, and you can discuss as much or as much detail as little details you want, you know, for privacy concerns, here. but what have we been up to since?
2: Oh, on the uh, cloud computer?
5: or well, you know, it? just in general. Like, did you, did you stay in programming? Did you get into something totally different? Or
2: uh, not into programming after that for contours? So um, I did get a Amethyst computer, but uh, after a while, my hundred meg uh, hard drive crashed on me, <laughs> and after that, I didn't have the motivation really to continue. So I was doing some development work, you know, but nothing really, you know, speak of. After yeah, the I got crashed, lost all my programs, you know.
5: So did you, did you, you didn't stay in the programming industry, even on PCs or anything else after that? You went yeah. into something totally different? Yeah. So. But I have noticed that you have gotten a bit involved in the COCA community again recently, because you've actually got some yeah. credits on some utilities and stuff here. If you want to uh, yeah. talk about some of that a little I started,
2: bit. I started get back into, um, I see, you uh, um, know, Bitcoin stuff, you know, I was mining that, you know, that kind of got me back in the technology stuff, you know. And from there, I started to uh, learn how to program again. So that's kind of not to... So you on. did no
5: programming, like, for decades after? Yeah. Nothing. Oh, okay. I didn't realize that. I thought you kind of, you know, maybe as a hobbyist, kind of kept a little bit inside, but you were totally away from it.
2: Well, I was a uh, t- uh, into technology, though, but as far as programming, though, probably not. I mean, I did a little bit here and there, you know. So Okay. And every once in a while, I do stuff at my job, you know. So, But it's not really my my job title, though, so it's outside and you. <laughs>
5: So. just just a little bit on the side once in a while when you when you needed yeah. to basically
2: so actually, um, time I actually got the source of the year for it too so oh really kind of nice you know you okay because okay, I know so you, you I didn't know how to you know program so I was able to I, um, migrate some data over for them so okay
5: because I, I do know you got involved with some compression decompression routines that actually made it back to the cocoa. Uh, right. in the last few years. So you want to talk a little bit about that and how that came about and exactly what it is? Because I think some of our viewers probably don't have a clue about it. But.
2: Well, uh, basically, I started w- with uh, developing a game engine. I wanted to, you know, make something you know, new, you know, fresh, you know. And part of that was the compression. Um, so basically, I initially started with um, well, basically the ones out there right now, but I wasn't too impressed with them. And um, I then I uh, saw about the LZSA, L- L- uh, from uh, Emmanuel Marty. And uh, he developed um, basically a eight-bit, eight-bit version of the uh, LZ4 like that, you know. But then uh, I saw on his GitHub, uh, he had a uh, um, code for the uh, ZS0. 80 And I looked at that, you know, I was really impressed with the uh, layout. So a matter of fact, I did some tests and SC Contras probably could be compressed to one disk using that. Holy cow. <laughs> effort, you know, extracting the data, you know, but uh, I believe it can go into on to one disk. But uh, I also think kind of impressed me with the 80 is too, zSO uh, is that uh, basically requires a brute force for the compression, whereas most compressions you don't do brute force because, you know, you, the data takes too long, you know. But if they're using a 64-bit, you know, space, you know, uh, it's pretty regional on the time, you know.
5: Yeah, because I remember correctly, that the decompressor is actually very small and quick, right?
2: Yes, if I remember correctly.
5: It's like okay, it's more meant to be that, creating creating something to decompress, then the compression is not so much the issue.
2: I probably use it for real time stuff, though. But uh, like uh, basically, it's designed uh, for um, um, loading uh, data off, off you know like this, you know. Oh, I see. I see, and that and that uh, the original program, uh, the tape, you know.
5: Okay. Now was there any compression at all on Contras, or was that just raw samples yeah, well, for sound, raw graphic sure. tiles? Yeah.
2: If it was, it's very it, was, it wasn't that much. Yeah.
5: I like I didn't know it some like some of the games, you know, you know, graphic adventure game stuff might use RLE compression or something similar, maybe you know, like Keller Max mm-hmm. and Coco Max did very simple stuff, right. but uh,
8: when we were doing one twenty eight K, yeah, compression, we absolutely were looking into a compression. As soon as we went to five twelve, it's like screw it. We're just going to use <laughs> as many discs as we want. You know, whatever. We got we got loads of space to fill. Let's not even worry about it. At least that was my experience, or at least that was actually that was Dave's. That's what Dave told me when he made Cinestar. It's like I'm going to do as many discs as I want, right? I said, okay. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it's
5: always a disappointment to me. And I've talked to this with Mark Siegel and others. I mean, Tandy kept upgrading their drives. I mean, they went from 35 to 40 track and then the FD502 was actually a double-sided 360K drive. And they never advertised it as such. It was like, this holds 153K and still does. They never updated the basic. OS9 can handle it, but I mean, you're not going to write you know a game like this under OS9 unless you basically use it just as a loader and then you kill OS9 and just run it on your own. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's, it's a bit disappointing that they never did upgrade the basic rom i know they had some issues with microsoft etc but the having a 360k capable um disc rom for this basic and you guys could have did this all in one disc even without compression would have been awesome
8: but i oh, gonna reduce cost of goods
5: yeah i mean you don't have to make one disc for a you know, game instead of king's quest which had what was it five double-sided flippies
8: <laughs> i remember and before uh, Rainbow Fest, uh, me and like a couple of buddies would just be in my dorm room all night just making discs.
5: Yep, I had to do the Nitrous Nine, and we only had two discs to copy. So I can just imagine for these, you know, three or higher. That's, yeah, it's uh, a bit nuts.
8: Well, so, so we had we had uh, what was the the, um, uh, the the piece of software that loaded everything into from a disc into five twelve k and just dumped it. Uh, so Yeah, just five twelve K backup dump, or dump. something like that. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. That helped a lot. Yeah,
5: single pass. So Doug, you 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 got back in the cocoa doing some of the decompression compression routines, and I know some people actually use them. Uh, I've mm. seen some credits. like that. Jamie Cho, I think used it in a couple of them too. Yeah. Um, do you have any desire to get back into actual, either gaming or or you know user software versus you know uh, subroutines and utilities uh, for the cocoa?
2: Uh, I, yeah, I'd like to you. just say uh, I got uh, distracted in your life, you know. So, but... Um, yeah. Well, I said the CS, uh, Zero is basically part of that, you know. The, it just uh, one part of it, you know.
5: Okay. And then the other one I wanted to ask you about, you'd mentioned that other game that you had started before Contras with Eric, mm-hmm. um, which you said wasn't really going. Anywhere. I don't know if you meant by programming-wise or design-wise or where that stalled, but is that something you would consider reconsidering finishing now that you know what you know and there's much better you know development tools and stuff you do it much quicker
2: yeah i'm not sure i have a copy because i looked at the disc you know but it's been been overwritten so but uh oh no shots the, at least of the you know the the logo <laughs> well
5: at least you kept some of your struggle documents because i've lost a lot of mine
2: right here it's a city crisis
5: Oh, there you go. <laughs> yeah. Now that since that was done before Conjurs was that going to be a Cocoa Three game or was that a Cocoa One and Two game? Oh,
2: Cocoa Three, Cocoa Three. Okay. No question about that.
5: Yeah, I'm guessing you probably have no desire to write a Cocoa One and Two game nowadays. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, Is and Glenn, anybody, are I,
8: people doing that?
5: Yeah, we've had a couple of new releases. Paul Shoemaker's released some like Ghost Rush and Camel, and that's awesome. Yeah. It's it, it, like the whole point of retro is the nostalgia, right? And some of the people grew up with a Cocoa One and Two, and by the time the Cocoa Three came out, they went to a, an Amiga or a Tandy 1000 uh, or whatever. Yeah, so yeah. they don't have a connection to the Cocoa Three that, you know, some of us have type thing.
8: Yeah. So. Those of us who were there at the time were like, Coco Three, thank God. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we would never go back and actually develop for Cocoa One and Two unless. You
5: know. Yeah. It's kind of ironic because we, we've been discussing a lot about the, the deluxe cocoa with Mark when we interviewed him. And that was going to have like a real sound chip, an AY chip. It was going to have a Narst 232 port, a real hardware 16551 built in. It was going to have the extended keyboard like the Cocoa 3 does. Um an expanded uh, uh basic, you know, with a RAM drive and a bunch of other stuff built into it too. But if they had done that. The Coco 3 would have been delayed because it would have just brought the Deluxe out in 84, 85. It might not have came out to like 88. And would Tandy have even bothered at that point? Because they were kind of iffy on the Coco 3. They said basically, okay, we'll do a Coco 3 if you can make it cost less to produce than the Coco 2 does. Uh, uh, <clears throat> and the gimme chip is what saved it because they combined the SAM, the VDG, and everything else into this one chip, and they could get it a little bit cheaper, and that's the only reason it really came out, so um yeah it's, it's kind of interesting how history would have gone the other way the, the Cocoa might have died in 87 88 completely you know from the deluxe because deluxe would have cost more to produce because it had all these extra chips on it plus all the old ones and it wasn't as much of a a, a hardware upgrade i mean it had some pretty cool stuff built in like the sound and, and the urster 32 but that's it the graphics was still vdg based it had the lowercase vdg it did have a little phase shift thing. you could change the text screen to be white on blue i think it was instead of black on green so it would have been a bit easier than that but still 32 columns so the gimme you know went up and put graphics up like a you know EJ color palette with you know cj res and that was a huge thing the timer programmable timer which is probably the best compromise they made because i I know they were asking for sound chips and stuff and some other things and, and basically the compromise well we'll give you a timer so you can at least try to do some decent sound which Contras literally proved was worthwhile with the digital sound effects and the and the digitized music so um, Doug, are you planning on coming out
2: to the fest this next year in May? as uh, possible. So, Because
5: I know I didn't get a much chance to, to stop by your booth to go through all the you know, paperwork of the original graphics and some of your notes and stuff. And I'd love to actually see it in more detail. And I okay. will make the time this time. Um, does it, I, I, love, I love the old history of this stuff. And I know, like, Glenn, you're going to be on in a, a couple of weeks uh, again to promote your new book. And we're hoping maybe you can find some of your old notes to show
8: off. If they're, they're back there. I just have to get into the garage and find them. But
5: I, I have yeah, reads. But you have been so stuff. busy with book, book book signings and stuff lately, you probably haven't had time.
8: Yeah, but I will before before next time I come. I'll I'll have some stuff to show. Yeah. I, I love the archaeology of this kind of stuff. And and like going
5: through like Nick's gone through some of his old discs and found games he started that he stopped working on and totally forgot they even existed. And we've actually seen them running. I found a wow. few of my old ones too. And because sometimes you get going on a project and you're going, I, I, either the game all of a sudden just doesn't interest you and you don't know where to go with it. Sometimes it's a, a technical issue you can't get past. Um, so just just finding those uh, historical bits like what could have happened. Or, or sometimes it
8: rekindles to the point where the developer will go, you know what, I'm going to finish it now 30 years later. What the heck? You know, I think I finished everything that I attempted on the color computer. There were things in, the, in my later world on the PC that I have design documents and all kinds of crazy stuff that never saw the light of day not quite the same meaning for this audience however
5: yeah and doug like you mentioned that 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 first game you're just showing us the graphic uh graphic paper of the title screen you did have some other projects that were started but never finished mm-hmm. as well now was there any games that you had ideas for because you were mentioning you were like me where you jump between projects simultaneously um yeah. Were there other games that you were kind of planning on you never got to the programming stage or got very early on and, and then you so kind of uh, ended up dropping?
2: Uh, Nintendo version of Battletoads. So. so what was that? Battletoads. Battletoads? Battletoads.
5: Mm-hmm. Ba- ba- uh, yeah. Oh, Battletoads. Okay.
2: Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, okay. So we got Contras though instead. <laughs>
10: <laughs>
5: that was a good choice. Yeah, I think so. Um, I was going to ask
2: people on the panel
5: here. um, First of all, how many of you guys have played Contras? And this goes for the chat as well. Um, And and what was your impression of the game from both a technical standpoint and the playing standpoint? And then, uh, Mark, I haven't had a chance to monitor the chat much. Has there been any questions firing in from the chat that uh, we should address as well?
10: I've
9: not been looking really closely, unfortunately. Uh, A lot of comments, but I don't know if there's specifically any questions, but I'll look here. Okay. And then uh, some of the game players on the panel, like Ken, uh, who's played Contras before,
5: what what does your impression of the game? You know, as far as it's standing in, in the Copa Three game realm,
3: I definitely enjoyed it. I mean, I've never played the uh, Nintendo version. I'd have, like you had only played the uh, arcade version, so it was a nice thing to get into playing something where there was different levels and it felt like a different game, really. Yeah. Yeah, the first the
5: first level kind of teases like a, you. It looks yeah. like the arcade kind of. And then when you get the second one, wait a second. When to,
3: yeah, <laughs> when you got into the second level, it almost feels like a sequel to the arcade game.
5: <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, I can agree with that. But anything in the chat there, Mark?
9: Not seeing anything except too. Yeah, not seeing anything except for Rocky Hill asked a question and Ken Reichert answered it. About Konami's Code? Oh, Konami, Konami Code? code. Yeah. Uh, Dave and
6: Sharon, very uh, has a question. Uh, Glenn, when you wrote the Predator, did any of your game testers get to level two the same day? Or Predator? ever? <laughs> when I wrote the Predator? He, he, didn't, write
5: Predator. I, he didn't write Predator. He
3: didn't write Predator.
6: That was Greg Zummelt.
3: Okay. So no is the
4: answer. <laughs> yeah, <there you> <laughs> Honestly, if he had
3: written Predator, do you think we would have him as a guest on this show?
5: Oh. <laughs> That's a bit yeah, too any, much anything. of a slam. Greg's oh. done some good stuff.
8: <laughs> anything in, related to the
5: Predator, the answer is always no. <laughs> <laughs> like, I didn't mind Robocop, but Predator is just too hard. It's too difficult to play. It's got a lot of levels. It's got you know, pretty detailed graphics to also use the horizontal scrolling and stuff, too. But the game is just too difficult um, and oh, when we, we, we were talking during the Steve bjork tribute. Like it was one of the things that he talked about on, on one of the conferences. Is that he tried to balance the game. Like if you started dying, he would back the difficulty off when you went on to your next life, so that you didn't get so frustrated you just threw your hands up in the air and quit the game and left.
11: This wasn't on uh, a ROM pack, was it? Three discs. <laughs> okay, but could it have fit on a ROM pack with the later versions having the larger ROMs or anything?
5: You mean the, M- the built-in MME hardware? Bank, Bank switching. Never- it good? would have been really expensive because yeah. this game is 5, k And I mean, the ones that uh, Greg did, Predator and Robocop, I think they maxed out at 128K or something. Right,
11: right. So, so it wouldn't have been able to go on a program pack.
5: Probably no, not, unless you made it the size of a disc controller or something. Hmm. That would have also greatly increased the price, too, because that would be bigger ROMs, more circuitry. That would have been like a $60 cartridge, I'm sure.
3: Right. Hey which nowadays is just normal.
10: <laughs>
5: yeah. Yeah for, for the two of you I mean you've probably seen eBay prices have gone through the roof the last year or so I mean Copa 3s are going for 300 bucks now for a 128k.
3: 300 okay. I wish I could get one that yeah, cheap. Yeah.
11: Another I question I got is uh did you guys ever um go to the Tandy versions of PC you know from like the 1000s Coco? you mean? Yeah, the 1000s or you know
2: well,
11: like you Tandy graphics programming? My dad had
2: one. Thousand.
11: And what did you think of it? Where, you know,
0: sometimes. Yeah, I guess did you, if you guys same. did
11: go that route, uh, did you
5: guys ever consider writing? Yeah, writing for true. those later on. i
0: probably
8: not. And Glenn, I don't think you went that route. You went to a. No, I went straight. Uh, I can't even remember the brand of the PC that I ended up with, but that's what Legend was making. So. Yeah. So well,
5: that's, was that that's 386, 46 up. level somewhere? Yeah, yeah,
8: yeah, yeah. Actually, 286 when I started. Okay.
11: So, I think I think I got a
8: 486 just when I got the the first iteration of the Unreal uh, and editor. Um, I got it because I couldn't run it on the
12: 386. <laughs> it, it, nothing moved.
8: So, <laughs> we, bought, we bought that just so I could actually edit the, uh, the the world or even the tiny little world that I was creating.
5: And Doug, what what, what machine did you go to afterwards at home?
2: um so basically ms-dos you know knockoff uh basically uh by insight so okay
5: and did you did you were you in dos at that point or were you getting into windows three or three one at that
2: point uh, so also i think i had the windows 3.1 too so
11: did you guys build any pcs as time went on
2: oh yeah
0: no, <laughs> <laughs> not me. I has the money.
12: From
0: the yeah.
8: I think I was buying things through Gateway and uh, and then eventually Dell. But Gateway, it was interesting that they uh, they ended up paying us money because they we we produced a game called Gateway, and they uh, and we had the trademark for it. <laughs> so. Oh, so they had to pay for the trademark? So they had to actually pay us.
0: (laughs) Every cow box you got money.
9: (laughs) There's a question from uh, Alan, Exile in Paradise. He is asking, uh, Doug, was there anything you couldn't get into the Contras that you still wish was there today? Yeah, probably the vertical levels.
5: The vertical scrolling levels, yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I'm trying to think, is there any... Also, the last uh, level, too, the Nintendo version... Like that one. Okay.
5: Yeah, because there's not very many games on the Cocoa that do full four-way scrolling. There's a there's a couple, like Digger Three is one. Um trying to think of anything else. I guess uh, pack two 3D Monster Maze does because it goes kind
2: of limited though, on Digger Three
5: though. Yeah. Yeah, because okay, when you start getting into both vertical and horizontal scrolling, especially if you have to page flip to keep it smooth if you have overlays of like scores and stuff, you're starting to use a lot of RAM. <laughs> <laughs>
11: What do you guys think of Neutroid?
0: (laughs) (laughs) No (laughs) comment. Smoothly done, Doug. (laughs)
10: Uh,
11: I just had to. Sorry, (laughs) I didn't hear Nick's response ever.
0: (laughs) 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 Okay, well, despite the symmetrical book stacking, I think he's human.
10: What that was that, brick?
0: Oh, I said, despite the symmetrical book stacking, I think Doug Schumann. <laughs> That's a Ghostbusters reference to kids out there.
5: <laughs> Excellent. Paradise, Alan's uh, asking me, holy moly, did Curtis pay Ron to toss that
11: line up there? <laughs> no, I didn't. No. <laughs> Glenn, do you have any uh, color computer stuff? Uh, currently, I know you said you had notes and stuff, but. Do you have actual working systems at home?
8: Yeah, yeah, I do. Um, I don't uh, right now it's piled it's on the bottom of a pile of boxes. Um, so I don't actively use it like often um, but it's it's there and, and it's it's operational. Cool. I, I remember I actually got out when we moved here, I got out my color computer stuff and my kids were just fascinated. And so I set it up and let them play all my games and so for a while, they uh, they had their own little uh, before phones were a thing. Um, they had a, a computer to play with, and that was that was a really nice moment because they got to see not only you know um, the, the the computer and the software, but a huge piece of my life. Um, yeah. they got to you know see my story as written in all of these games and stuff, and that was pretty neat. It's strange that you, your life is digital. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if my life is digital, you but know, a large portion of it work is. And, yeah. Well, I mean, it's basically creative, is the way I see yeah. it, and that was one form of expression, and there are a lot.
5: Yeah, yeah. Because when you when you got into the PC side of things, you were doing more of the design work. You weren't actively doing the programming as much anymore. I think a little bit at the beginning, but the, basically
3: that went. Yeah, the way exactly.
8: It was. I was hired as a programmer, and I worked on Time Quest um, and a couple of other products after that. Um, and I ended up still helping out, but mostly. Yeah, I ended up doing design and direction and art direction and, and voice direction. And you know, so I was I was all over the place, but uh, I left programming behind pretty quickly. I was not as good of a programmer as I was these other things. Yeah.
11: Did you guys both um, work late into the night? Maybe, you know, wee morning hours at best or were you good in the morning or did it matter?
2: I'm night person, so definitely night.
8: Night. I used to be a night owl completely. I would do everything at night, and now I can't. I can't sleep past eight. Um, <laughs> it's crazy. My my schedule's completely changed. I don't know if it's because of you know everybody's in the house and they're all working from home, and so you know that, and and taking people to school and and all of that. So my my body clock just changed completely based on everybody Family else's schedule. And, and Doug,
5: are
2: you still a night person like you were back then? Or um, somewhat. Not, not as much so.
5: Yeah. I, I'd basically say I'm probably the same as Doug then, because I, I I do tend to do better programming at night. I don't know why my brain kicks into an extra gear at that time. Uh plus there's less distractions, as you mentioned, Some other people might be sleeping. The cats might actually you know take a break for a while or something. So But yeah.
8: I found that I actually do my best writing now when um my son really liked when we went to Starbucks. And uh, so every week we would have this like three to four hour time when we go to Starbucks and work. And so my brain now tells me, Oh, it's time to work during that time. (laughs) So it doesn't even matter if I'm prepared or whatever. I'm, I'm going to get stuff done during that time. Really helpful. And it's very important for my relationship with my son. Cool.
11: Do you guys think uh, um, young kids have a future in Anything, Coco? It seems like uh, there's so many extra things to um, jiggle in front of somebody's face now that, you know, this old stuff is like, I don't know. It doesn't seem like uh, we're going to keep up. Like, you know, if we all die off, then what happens? You know?
8: Uh, I think it's very hard for people to get introduced to it. Even if they had an inclination to be interested in this sort of thing they would have to work really hard um to find that path and that's that's kind of the shame um because yeah it's like the people who are still nostalgic about it we're not going to be around forever um and so where do those people even discover it youtube <laughs> I, I will say
5: though like at the last few coco fests though we've had more younger kids turning out like you know preteens and stuff uh, like Charlie from Porta for example, is one who's actually actively involved with his dad in making hardware projects. Doug, you saw that at the show with the the portable cocos with the batteries and stuff here. And, uh, you know, Jacob, Bruce Moore's son has been active on helping his dad with stuff too. And there, there's some, it might have to be a, like a parent that kind of like a yeah, generational kind
4: of
8: thing that they they're
5: passing on yeah.
8: their interests. Um, but that's, that world has got to be very small.
5: Yeah, I have seen like on YouTube, because uh, I think during lockdowns, people had to start getting extra hobbies they didn't have before because they were bored at home. And, it, and some younger people did pick up on Retro and have stuck with it. Not everybody did. Some people just took a look at it for a year. And then when you know things went semi-back to normal, they just took, picked up their lives where they left off, basically. But a you have actually stuck with it and have actually gotten kind of interested, and I think it's because some of the people that are interested in programming or hardware design the generation in the '70s and '80s of computers is where you could still fully understand the machine, both right. from a hardware and a software perspective. So you could actually learn like how an operating system works, or how a graphics driver works, or or how to make a hardware card to do whatever. Whereas now everything is so technologically advanced, both software and hardware, you have no idea what's going on under the hood. You I'm clue. You're running somebody's library that's doing something else, and if it has a bug, oh well, I'm screwed. Type of thing, sure. or you try to figure out a workaround. So I think there's a little bit of, but like you said it's very limited it's very Niche I, I there, there's a little bit which is to me is a little bit encouraging because I really
8: thought it was just going to die off completely but it, mm-hmm. there's a little bit of hope that's that's awesome that there is some hope but I guess it also depends on what drives you to make something because if it's to to master the the hardware then and it's and it's for your own personal satisfaction those two things can combine great uh, well um to work with the cocoa but if it's to express yourself in the best way possible um then you need the, the, modern. Cocoa, the cocoa was the place for me at the time to do that uh, it was like you know one of a few options i had out there and the possible upside was that i would reach an audience that would like it and buy it um so those things don't exist for the cocoa anymore if anybody really is interested in expressing themselves to the point where they have a vision um the the middleware that exists for these other platforms will let that happen. So they can work with the Unreal Engine. They can work with Unity. They can work with something else and create something that is much better than they could do on their own. Yeah. So, you know, that that's a hard – you have to figure out what is the itch that they're scratching and uh, and how can the Coco scratch that itch. And that's tough. Uh, it's tough nowadays to compete with every other option that they have.
5: Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. Yeah, the, the, the creative side of things is the one that I think stays with the modern tech because you always want to push it to the limit. Um, right. You know, the virtual reality or, you know, the 3D graphics okay. and models and stuff like
11: that now. But uh, My son's like uh, 38 and he has a recording studio and he uses, you know, modern... His software is downloaded, you know, right from the uh, cloud, you know, and he has to pay for it all the time. So, um, but he grew up with the cocoa around... You know when he was a little kid and stuff, and he's coming to a Cocoa Fest with me again. He, he came last year, and um, and he does have a little bit of an interest in it, but I think it's more like you know, yeah, I'm with you, Dad. You know, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's a bonding exactly. moment. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but he does know he could run a program if he wanted to because he remembers the syntax, which I thought was pretty cool. And um, I you know sometimes you wonder if he's doing that. T- to um because he's interested or because you know for you know let's show dad you know that we appreciate yeah. him you know? humoring that is dad di-
0: that is the difference in the in the date do you want to know how computers work or do you want to write a video game In the day you had to learn how computers work to write the video game yeah but now you don't yeah. just learn unity engine
8: it was it was not easy either to learn all that especially given the resources we had at the time yeah, yeah, where and do you so go
11: if you, you, need, if you had a question or something, right?
8: Exactly. And it was frustrating. It was really frustrating for people who didn't have like a community around them that they could ask questions of. I mean, I got to I gotta say, I learned so much when I met Dave um, that and I didn't have anybody else like that. I was trying to figure it all out, some, out on my own. And that's why he laughed at me a couple of times because I, <laughs> I wasn't doing things the right way. But he had his own community of people around him. And so, you know, there had to be an upside. There had to be something that you were striving for in order to put up with all of that frustration. And now it's there is more of, I think, more of a community. You could definitely, there are people you can ask if you have issues. But there's less of an upside. It's like you create something, the amount of people that you're going to reach is much smaller. They will be very appreciative if you create something cool. (laughs) But it's only going to be a limited number of people.
5: Yeah and actually doug i was gonna ask since you've actually gotten back into the cook a little bit with like decompression and compression routines and you're also thinking about doing some games and stuff for you is it a purely nostalgia itch or is it you know i think i could pull off something even better than i did back then because i've learned so much since then like what's your, what's your driving force for doing this
2: well something i uh, do better than i did back then there's so much information available nowadays you know uh, what's what's available back then back then is, is very difficult uh basically you uh Way I learned is basically disassembling dissim- sim- other you know programs, games. So yeah, the, the information wasn't <laughs> wasn't readily
5: that. available. You'd have to really like you know, like you said, disassemble somebody else's. And magazines would cover you at the beginning, but most magazines didn't get that technical. Like yeah. the stuff you both of you were pushing, you yeah. know, it was not the stuff you'd read about in Rainbow in a column how to do it. Right. Right.
11: Are you Unless guys you other programmers. Do you guys read a lot? I mean, um, you know. There was a uh, machine language program book by uh, Barden. It was out. I mean, did you consult that all the time, or um, you know, besides having? I mean, you had to learn it somehow.
8: How did there was there was two things, right? There was that, and there was the um, the manual, you know, that that Tandy produced, and uh, and so those are the only two things I had to work from. And I remember I had a friend of mine who was sort of. Tangentially interested in the color computer, but he actually ended up doing a lot. He was the guy who did the uh, our protection scheme. He uh, he he yeah, he helped a lot. He was way more knowledgeable about the color computer than I expected him to be. And he hated our source material. He used to yell at it because he was like, <laughs> Where are the examples? There's nothing they don't explain how to do anything, they're just giving you some information. Um, so, so yeah, so it was rough. I read what we had, I read what was available at the time. You too, Doug.
2: Um, yeah. I'm not sure. what the question again?
11: No, you know, the book that came out, uh, Machine Language Programming by Barden, William Barden.
2: Oh yeah. Um, I read that. So,
11: yeah. So did you but, use that as a, a reference while you're doing stuff or?
2: Um, uh, to, to get started, I did. Yeah. So it wasn't really available, you know, that I could talk to. Um, I was so much more advanced than even my teachers, you know, so
5: yeah, and even the Barden book, I mean, that was Cocoa 1 and 2 and, and both of you really got heavily into the Cocoa 3 and like Barden didn't write a sequel. I, Lawrence Teppel did bring out some a, a little little bit later on that helped even though he had a couple of mistakes in it too that he had to correct later on. Like he thought there was a 1280 mode. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it it was more self-discovery. I, I think at that point, BBSs and CompuServe and Delphi started getting us a community, not quite up to like we have now with the internet, but it was a little bit we could start asking You know, Steve Bjork, how do you do this type thing? He'd he'd answer on Delphi or something like that. I was
8: on Delphi a lot, I remember. Um, And I I remember my keyboard for the color computer was, it clacked. And so I was on late at night and my my roommate hated it because he was trying to sleep. (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
5: Yeah, I I was lucky. My roommate at the the time I started doing the the heavy duty late night programming was exactly like me, except he was doing it on the PC. Um, He originally had a Cocoa, but he went to PC afterwards. So we were both up till three in the morning on a work day, you know away
11: yeah one thing i noticed about uh transitioning from the coco to a pc was the fact that um a lot of people did say that you'll never learn how to completely program the thing because it was so full of all kinds of code and stuff that you could it's hard to follow so and because and, i had thought maybe i would get into it with a, a faster bigger machine that had this you know hard drive because i really didn't ever had a hard drive on my coco thought i would but i never did but um uh there was there became so many different libraries of programs that you could usually you know especially now find anything you want to do just by searching it out you know and i thought it was getting that way with the coco because there was a lot so many programs you know and and different things to um to, to work on floppies to you know, uh, uh, word processing to, you know, making artwork and fonts and things like that. And then when you get into the PC, it was like, it would blow your mind away. But um, I think that's what probably, uh, you know, gets younger people. There's so much, it's like flush with different things you can do. I mean, you just think of something and you can do it. But you can also do the same thing on the Cocoa in a way. It may not be as fast, but if you think of it, you can do it. Isn't that, like, the weirdest thing? (laughs) I mean...
10: (laughs) Yeah.
11: It's hard to compete with phones. Yeah, Yeah, phones are even the next step, you know? Yeah.
5: There's more of those out now than there is PCs, so...
8: Absolutely. And there's some amazing games on there. So it's, yeah, it's hard to compete. Yeah, I totally so agree with that.
11: We have, what, uh, one emulator that'll work on the phone?
5: Uh, there's one for Android, and the, you can also run XROR online. Yeah. Though, as, as Kieran has admitted, he's got he's to get the uh, XROR online a bit more caught up to date to the actual XROR. It's falling a bit behind.
11: And what do you guys feel about, uh, you know, like VCC and some of these emulators and stuff? I mean, um, they've been updated to the point to where they're working pretty well now.
2: Um, I wish I had one back in the day because the deb- debugger, you know, is... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally agree there. <laughs> whereas on the old days, basically, you know, run and crash, and you got to go through the source code and kind of figure out where it crashed, you know, whereas the debugger, you know, you know right where it crashed, you know, <laughs> all the restrooms, you know.
8: Then you need to reassemble it take another 45 minutes.
0: Yeah, <laughs> no, 95 <laughs> megahertz for the pile.
8: <laughs> yeah, yeah, you can overclock yeah. the.
11: That's why kids don't like it. They don't want to wait.
8: <laughs> yeah, well, who would, who, why would you if you don't have to? <laughs> really? Yeah.
2: Yep.
5: Like you were saying, just Phantasm, you know, doubling the speed of it, an assemble was like a huge difference for you guys.
2: Yeah.
5: And that was still 20, 25 minutes.
8: Yeah. Mm-hmm. For, for a big project. Yeah. It was crazy. But it made such a difference. I mean, it made it so much more comfortable to program. Um,
11: I think it, the biggest threat was when, uh, when I ever started to play with even basic. You know, I'm turning off the computer and forgetting that, <laughs> oh, it's gone. <laughs> <laughs> you know, or someone else doing it to you if you left it on. And that, that was a real bummer, you know. And it, it, even today when I do artwork, I have to remember to save off or a.m., Because if something happens or, you know, the latest version is great to start with if you messed up, you know. Uh,
8: It was a huge, that was a huge thing even through PC. It's like if you don't save and something crashes, then you're just done. Which is why I love, um, you know, I love the cloud. I love working on Google Docs that automatically update doesn't matter what happens to my you know the individual thing that i'm working on it's like it'll still be there my latest version updates as i'm pressing the key so yeah that that's made a huge difference for me that and not having to worry about what is my my my, like my current novel on um i I can just take my ipad somewhere (laughs) and just start working on it in a a coffee shop because it's not on the ipad it's on google docs
11: it's almost like in your head huh?
5: Yeah. 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 Okay. Well, I don't have any more questions myself. I've been kind of monitoring the chat the last little bit, and I think most stuff that we've been asked has been asked. Um, so any, any final thoughts from the,
8: the two of you? Um, I did want to say one of the things that happened um when we released the Contras is that I made a bunch of these. Uh, <laughs> and I still have some, and if people really want them, I, I, I have been selling these occasionally on eBay, um, for right now it's, it's for $50. If anybody wants, uh, an original copy and I'll, I'll sign them. I'd love to have Doug sign them, but we're not in the same place. So, um, I will sell them for 40 bucks a piece if anybody wants to contact me.
5: Okay. And if, if Doug does end up making it to the Cocoa Fest, like if we can uh yeah, you can find out for there. sure whether that he can sign <laughs> them there if you if you want.
8: Yeah. Yeah for that. And I wanted to give a um a, a preview of what I'm gonna be showing when I'm here next time. Um this is the cover for the book that I have coming up. That's, that's the, the final that. one in the series, too, right? That is the final. That's the finale of the series. Uh, so, yeah, I'm I'm really excited about this book. Uh, I left nothing on the table. It's if anybody of you have, have read my books, you're it's going to blow your mind. So, I'm really looking forward to talking about that next time I come.
5: Yep, and the date on that, I don't have that actually handy. At the specific one, but I do have it.
9: Twenty seventh should be. At this no, moment? I believe so. Uh, I think it's, February.
5: it's oh, February. I know I've moved a few times because your your book signings were getting pretty busy. Yeah,
8: Maybe. I have it as February
5: third. Okay, I still have January twenty seventh. You want February third work better for you? Then uh, let
8: that's me better
5: s- for me too. I know You're it was right. bouncing around a bit from from the bookshops and stuff, but yeah,
3: then it's not on the same day as the virtual cocoa Fest. So actually, I. I'm I'm okay
8: either day, I think. Okay, well, let's go for February third then. Okay. Yes, please. Let's do that. Yeah, that's what I have on my, my calendar. So I'm yep. up for
10: that.
4: Cool.
8: Did
11: Boise make that book about the color computer? Was it Boise on there? The history one? Yeah. Yeah? Why? I just wonder, did you do you two guys seen that book at all or read it or know about it
2: uh, parts of it i read it
8: Even parts were talked okay. about me i read for those wondering that's,
5: that's the book there
8: yeah, yeah yeah i think i
6: i think i've seen bits and pieces of that so are we ready for commercial break
5: yeah, I just want to do a big thank you to, to Doug and, and Glenn for uh, coming on the show and talking about the history of Contras. I know it was a it was a bit of a bear at the time, but <laughs> I'm really glad you guys completed it because it's an awesome game and a lot of fun. And uh, Glenn will be on again in February 3rd. Doug, hopefully you make it out to the fest because if uh, you, you get some Contras uh, signed by Glenn, it'd be kind of cool to have them signed by you too <laughs> later on too. So that'd be awesome. <laughs> And uh, thanks again. You guys are welcome to stick around for the rest of the show if you want, or if you have you know, real lives to get back to, you feel free to do that as well.
8: Well, thanks so much for having us. It's always great. I, I love uh, chatting up everybody with about the Color Computer and about everything else. So thanks for having me, and good to see you, Doug.
5: Yeah, good to see you, too. Had you, had you guys ever met it in person before?
8: Like like face-to-face sort of? Evidently we did. Um <laughs> <laughs> i don't remember it but we uh we were chatting about that last night yeah we met at uh at coco fest or at uh, rainbow fest um one year uh when we were when we were in development so that was neat
4: <laughs> cool
8: well, it can happen again
5: yeah <laughs> yeah you he have jump. to drag glenn with one of his book signings here and have a book signing table at coco fest or something
8: yeah i'm uh i'm doing a lot actually um on, in march uh it's full it's like for like three months it's just every weekend is a is a signing which is pretty cool yeah it sounds like you're busier than the previous books i didn't know how I'll, I'll talk about it all on february 3rd but i didn't know how to do them uh how to do signings last year a lot has happened in the last year to sort of up my game as far as a, a launch. Uh, so I'm I'm really looking forward to this launch. It's going to be spectacular.
5: Cool. So there's a teaser, folks, for the uh, interview on February 3rd. <laughs>
8: right,
10: okay, so again. thanks thanks
5: again for both of you. I think we'll go to a commercial break.
10: Thanks again. Hey, Amy. Hey,
8: Taylor.
0: We're watching the Coco Nation show. Yeah, we are. Woo! You should too.
1: everyone. It's your good buddy, your good pal, Amigo Aaron, joined by that
3: dastardly The Brent from ARG Presents. You're watching Coco Nation.
4: I thought this should have been longer.
6: The Coco Nation show would like to thank the following patrons. Alex Geyer, Brendan Donahue, Brian Walsh, Brian Weasler, Karen Anscombe, Coconut Bob, Daddy Burrito, Derek Smithson, Diego BF109, Don Barber, Eric Canalis, Glenn Hewlett, Graham Wabke, Grant Leedy, Henry Strickland, Justin Larson, Ken Reichert, Kevin Holloway, Paul Fiscarelli, Paul Shoemaker, R. Allen Murphy, Retro Tech Time, Rob Inman, Rocky Hill, Steve Batson, TJB Chris, Tom C, Tom Gunderson, Tom S, and William Athing. Thank you so much, patrons.
0: Welcome to everybody's favorite segment
12: Who's New to Discord? Silent Bob says, Coco 2 owner a few Tandy machines and TRS-80 machines. Was here before. Life got busy with the move and getting the house together. Finally things calmed down to enjoy the fun stuff again. Call me Silent Bob. And I agree to the rules and I solemnly swear I'm up to no good. Mike says, I'm Michael Z. I've been into Cocos from the mid-1980s with a MC-10 then a Coco-2, then a Coco-3, and now I own all the Cocos, and look forward to every Coco nation. Gooseyard says, NDB. I got a 64k Coco 2 when I was I think 11, had fun with it for years and then my school got some 286s and I messed around with those for several years. Now it's a delight to come back to the Coco and fool around with OS 9. I think it's a lot more impressive to me today knowing how much it could do with modest hardware, and really happy to see people keeping things alive and vibrant. Adam D says, unfortunately, I have absolutely zero Cocos. That will be remedied this year mainly C64, Tandy 1000, NES and late-era DOS, with random systems from time to time. I've been friends and acquaintances with a number of folks in the Coco Nation for some time. Buck Owens informed and invited me. Looking to learn about what I've been missing in the Tandy color computer range of computers. Floyd says, I'm Floyd R. I'm the creator of such games as Gem Quest, The Dungeon Depths, and several others. While I no longer own a Coco, or any other retro machine." I have set up MAME on my Mac to emulate the Coco. Recently, I was looking at the basic 09 manual and got a nostalgic bug to start coding in it again. Mainly to fix bugs and enhance the games I've already created. I'm very glad to be on this channel. The previous bios were edited for time. Thanks to, Boysen, Glenside Computer Club, Paul Fiscarelli, Tandy Color Computer 3, and the Coco Nation patrons for boosting the server please consider joining Discord and visiting the welcome section to read these bios in full and see what the community has to offer. Just go to discord.thecoconation.com.
2: See you on Discord!
3: Welcome, everybody, to the Coco Nation Game On Challenge of the Week results video. This week we did things a little bit different. We played any Frogger game you wanted. That means that the scoring system is a big hot mess. So, what I'm going to do is first show you how many people participated, how many scores they submitted and then I'll go through each of the games and only give you the top score from each game. So starting off, we had a total of 19 players submitting 62 scores on 11 games. We had Jim Rye submitted one score. Mr. Dave 6309, one score. Brian Walsh, one score. Kieran, one score. Joshua, one score. Nerf Herder, two scores. Micro Hobbyist, two scores. Ed Rhodes, two scores. Mark B, three scores. Henry III, three scores. Sloopy Malibu, three scores. Shenley, four scores. Sab four. Jim Rye, four. Coconut Bob, four. Canadian Retro Things, four. 5, Rich N, 5, Buck Owens, 8, and L. Curtis Boyle, 8. Now, the games. We played The Frog with 12 players, and the winner was Brian Walsh with 12,800. Frogger had 13 players, and the winner was Buck Owens with 8,850. Rail Runner had 3 players, and the winner was L Curtis Boyle with 21430. Jumping Joey had 9 players and the winner was Coconut Bob with 17720. Frog Track had 9 players and the winner was Buck Owens with 7560. Mr. Dave wrote a Frogger text adventure for this. Two people played it. And the winner was Mr. Dave sixty-three o nine with twenty-four thousand. Froggy had seven players. The winner was Buck Owens with thirty-six thousand two hundred. Conveyor Belt had two players. Buck Owens won that one with twenty-six. Horace Goes Skiing had two players, and Buck Owens won that one with seven hundred fifty-five. Croker had two players, and Buck Owens won that one with thousand forty. Frog Jump had one player, and that player was L. Curtis Boyle, with a score of two. Thanks, everybody that played, and we'll see you again next week. The Coco Nation salutes
0: Buck Owens!
5: So, Ken, did you see uh, Jim Rye's comment
3: in yes, the chat? Yes, I just noticed <laughs> that I put Jim Rye on there twice because he deserves it as our intern. And actually, just noticing that mistake, you know what? I'm not going back and fixing anything because I don't care because this took me so long to put together. We are never doing this again. <laughs> <laughs> I was talking about his latest or... comment.
5: He added another one here about Frog Trek. Oh, Frog Trek
3: has no winners. <laughs> a lot of people played Frog Track though. I'm surprised. Even though it was an absolutely horrible game. Maybe people just had to see how bad it really was. Yep. Um, so a full list of the scores will be posted on the um Discord channel. So Why? you can see where you came in <laughs> that dimensional uh,
0: spreadsheet, right?
3: Yeah. So yep, yeah, we're definitely not doing that again. So <laughs> Uh, I know we're short on time, so we'll just quickly go over what was everybody's favorite Frogger game that participated this week. Um, Anybody? Uh, Myself, personally, it would be a pretty close tie
5: between the official Frogger, because it actually plays quite well, it has some of the music, etc. It's not the highest res visually presented. It's probably a little bit above average. And Jump and Joy. That would be my two best out of the. Well, graphically i would say the frog is still the most impressive visually uh unfortunately the play is terrible and the uh sound isn't much better
3: i personally really enjoyed rail runner so that's my two cents <laughs> anybody Rick, else? You're,
5: you're the frogger expert since you wrote a clone of it for jump and joy and i'm gonna guess jump and joy is your favorite what would your second favorite be
3: no,
7: the the one you other one you mentioned, um, what was it, Frogger itself. Did Frogger the itself? official
3: license. Yeah, program. yeah. That's a good version. But, yeah, next time we decide to do something like this, Curtis warned me ahead of time how many <laughs> versions of something there is on the color computer.
5: <laughs> I think Next we're going to do Pac-Man like that. Give him
0: the old baseball <laughs> set. Yeah.
5: God, no. 20 of them, I'm sure. <laughs> I, I was going to ask you, I didn't get a chance to try, but what the heck was Mr. Dave's text adventure version of Frogger? Like, how did you play that?
10: I
3: have no idea. I just know him and Buck Owens were the only ones that played it. Um, Story problems. It's what?
9: Story problems. Story it problems. Asks a question. Okay. It asks a question. If. If one side is coming this direction at this speed and the other side is coming direction. At this oh, speed, Jesus. Oh,
5: like math. 8th
9: math
0: again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> train A is doing 80 miles. So worse yet. It's an B. educational
5: game on top that of That sounds so uh-huh. fun. <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> well, it's kind of interesting that he just wrote it, especially for this challenge. <laughs> right?
0: He said
3: any Frogger. Right? It's a Frogger. <laughs> it is. It's a, it's a Frogger clone. So,
1: Well, technicality. Yeah. It's
10: technically, it's a technically spiritual it is.
3: clone.
5: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I never thought I'd see Text Adventure
3: Frogger, that's for sure. A clone is any version that's based on the original, and who said you have to have graphics? <laughs>
5: <laughs> I, I was wondering, uh, for our two guests here, Glenn and Doug here, did you guys play any of the Frogger clones when you were younger type thing, and did you have a favorite of the ones we had on the Coglu?
2: Not even playing on the computer
8: Yeah, I I, I don't. I'm sure I played one or two of them in my day, but I do not remember them to a point where I have a favorite.
3: Oh, you just don't (laughs) want to admit it's Frog (laughs) Trek? No, I think it's a text adventure, honestly. (laughs) 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 You see a
5: log ahead of you. Do you want to jump? Yes or no? You know,
8: it it, it almost has a little piece of my heart being a text adventure, but it's a math problem. I mean, (laughs) at least there could have been, you know key in a lock or something i don't know right? i love it. adventure games i that sounds horrible
11: <laughs> <laughs> i like frogger but i don't play games much but the problem is if you if you're not good at it and and you're hearing the song over and over again <laughs> because you're not good at it you get sick of the song
3: so you, well see there's the best thing about uh jumping <laughs> joey is you can turn the music off uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> plus he has different music themes for the three different screens uh, too. yeah so But you can still turn it off after listening to it once, turn it off. That's
11: the way I I like games. And you can turn it down. So yeah.
5: That was an interesting experiment trying to do like every clone or something. But yeah, yeah, there's there's a few Coco games where we only have like one or two clones that would work with, but when you're starting to deal with the really popular stuff like Defenders and Pac-Mans and Moon Patrols and stuff, it's just
7: it's too much. I don't think we realized there were that many Frogger or Frogger-ish programs out there. I knew that as soon as he mentioned it, I was going urine for a world
3: of hurt, buddy. <laughs> I think the next time it's going to be any text adventure, <laughs> 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 yeah, and that is the week that room. I'm away, and uh, either <laughs> Sleepy you're going to or be or in Hawaii Boston. sipping on mai tais, laughing hysterically. <laughs> yeah. either Slippy or Jim is going to have to uh, put all the scores together. That means we <laughs> get to play scripts at finally. <laughs> yeah, and Frogger
10: then, again. Yeah. So and like Frogger, again. Yeah. Frogger again. Frogger <laughs> again.
3: Yeah.
11: I'd like to see you guys download a WeFax frame.
10: <laughs>
11: that would be cool.
5: Yeah. It was an interesting experiment, but yeah, that's just just yeah, too much. That's
3: uh yeah. It'll it'll be a little more reined in if we ever do anything <laughs> like this again.
5: <laughs> I think the last time we tried was Joust, wasn't it? We were doing like Pegasus and Yeah, Atlanta. but we, oh, week. we, we did one We did one at a time for three or four yeah. weeks straight, though. So that And then that voted on sense. our
10: favorite.
3: Which yeah. is it. Um although the one good thing about this is that uh, you know, technically there were sixty-five different games played this week, so or this last couple of weeks. Yeah so that's like a lot. Everybody participated a lot.
11: And Buck Owens is still number one.
3: Oh yeah. Well
11: Yeah, Heyman Tasman, um, usually.
3: Yeah. I'm, I surprised he never, while, I know, I'm surprised Buck never uh, put in a score for uh, Jumping Joey, because hasn't he broken that game?
11: He has. <laughs> Wouldn't Buck Owens be the one to test your game if you're making a game? These oh, yeah. days, yeah, he's oh, yeah. one of the best testers you can get. Yeah, Is he? I didn't
3: know if he did. it. He, will, find, he will break your game for you. <laughs> he will <Yeah>. break <laughs> it and send it back. <laughs> so the yeah. other game that we played this week was uh, Super Pitfall. Which is uh, one of Steve York's games, and uh,
11: have you ever played? Had us play a game that was uh, tape. Um, well, a lot of them were available both ways. So, I mean, how
5: do you yeah. how do you determine that? Most of the games yeah, that are
3: available on tape have been patched to work on discs. So, but
11: require it on tape.
3: I don't don't think there's unless unless
5: it had mixed audio like you know audio on motor on type stuff there's not really anything that would only run on cassette Mm. which
3: would that even work through emulators
5: mm. it does but I mean why do you want to wait this is like using phantasm versus using edtasm why would you (laughs) play something that takes three times longer to load on purpose
0: we're gonna have to put tales of suburbia on the game on
5: challenge Tell, tell you what, Ron, on the next one, we're going to have type-in games, and it'll be like 32K basic, <laughs> you and you're going to have to type, type the in. whole thing in to play it.
3: <laughs> I'm sorry, I go. can't hear. <laughs> and the game will be actually, who can type it in the quickest without mistakes?
5: <clears throat> and we'll have there no winners go. that entire week, because nobody will get it bug-free.
3: <laughs> How far do you get
0: into the game before it Except crashes? Nick. I'm exactly. still loading it from last week.
5: <laughs> <laughs> and the week after will be typing type in a machine language game.
6: Nick will be the only
5: one that will get it in
7: bug-free. L-D-X. Okay. No bugs.
5: Yeah, because he doesn't know what a bug is. <laughs> Apparently they have a different name or a different word for that in Australia, because I'm sure he has bugs. But
3: <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, getting back to that, we are playing um, Super Pitfall as our second game this last week, and it's going for one more week. So um, basically it's a pit fi- Pitfall-style game that... Was available on the color computer three and on the NES. So
5: and one other platform, I think the PC six thousand one or something like that. There oh. was one other one.
3: Okay. I just one about on on the two. two. On the no, color computer two, not there's Super yeah. pitfall. No, no, no pitfall, pitfall two was on the pitfall, pitfall two is available, which also Steve Bjork wrote yeah. or programmed. It's a different game. Yeah. It's based Quite. on the arcade game, Pitfall 2.
5: Actually, I think the Atari 2600 cartridge one was before the arcade one. If I remember, was it? it? was the original.
3: Oh, okay. I don't know. Yeah, I just remember put special just hard hardware thought... in the
5: cart for that one.
3: I just remember when I first played it. It was a uh, um, yeah, because that's one of the cartridges that will not work on the new Atari 2600 Plus.
5: Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. they added extra hardware in that one. It's kind of like you know the Predator
7: and RoboCop we talking about earlier. Yeah, I think they updated the firmware. It might now.
3: On the uh, Pitfall 2, the extra hardware on the Atari 2600 cart is a sound chip so that it can play continuous background music.
7: And they didn't emulate that?
3: No. Uh, on the Atari 2600 Plus, what it does is it downloads the uh, ROM into the into an emulator on board, and then you play and it. And because it needs to access that extra chip on the cartridge, it won't work.
11: And they don't do that. I, I heard that... Um... Steve Bjork said that there was only, like, 76 bytes on a 2600 usable memory. 128 bytes, I believe.
0: Yeah, 128 bytes of RAM. Oh, okay. <laughs> One line yeah. of video at a time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> a real rocking machine.
3: So but they think- did some pretty amazing things with it. Yeah. yeah you- oh, yeah. But this isn't the Atari show, so let's get back to the. No, that's over right. There. Gosh, <laughs> back on topic.
5: Yeah, <laughs> yeah we get we had limited time, remember? So,
3: okay, so yeah, uh, that's the other game we're playing. So, just so you know, and now we did. Uh, I'll just show some quick footage from. Sounds like a game. Thursday night. Um, Basically everybody was playing lots of uh frog games and um Super Pitfall which also had frogs in it. So <laughs> staying on oh, We it. should have added that to it then. A lot of death. <laughs> it wasn't a Frogger <laughs> game, it just contained frogs. So now
5: I did want to check something with you Ken because uh we were recommending for those that have 6 through 9s to get the uh, Sock Master enhanced one because it plays quite a bit smoother and faster than the it original does, one. It does, but it d- it does have a force, you know, abnormally high number of men.
10: Yeah,
3: which kind of is unfair because you had, uh, I think it's 96 men you get or something like that. So, yeah, I could have sworn I had a copy before that
5: only still had the three men but was enhanced, but maybe I was remembering wrong.
3: Well, so unfortunately, I mean, I'm not a huge stickler for rules. So, if that's the one you want <laughs> to play, then.
0: Well, what if you took the picture with your number of men showing? So
3: after three men, you're done. If that's yeah, you could well because you also you do get three men though sometimes three so. men quite easily in this game. Oh so. yeah,
0: okay, never mind. I'm done.
5: I know if I if I get some time at the beginning of this next week here, maybe I'll see if I can figure out where that cheat patch is there, and maybe Change see if I can upload a reverted back to three men version.
3: I where? mean the uh, the the original version is. A little bit slow, but it's not that bad. I mean, I played a heck of a lot slower games on the Coco than that. Yeah,
5: no, I I played the original cartridge, uh, you know, right after I bought it when it came out quite a bit.
7: The NES version is, uh, at least three times faster.
3: I played the NES version and I much prefer the Coco version because there's a lot of things in the NES version that it's running at a speed that. When you come onto screen, it insta-kills you, Mm. which just I hate. I hate games that insta-kill you, that you don't have time to react and things kill you. And that was a problem in the NES version that I had when I tried it out.
11: Sounds like a dilemma.
3: Yeah. I mean, it's certainly faster and smoother, but it contains a lot of insta-kills. So,
5: Yeah, in the 6.0.9 optimized version, I think it's roughly just under twice as fast would be kind of an, a nice balance.
3: Yeah. The game plays yeah, the same it's as the plays like, there's it plays. There's a lot of things in the NES, like when you're jumping over a cavern, you'll jump into the air and then a bat will come out as the screen scrolls over a bat will come out and kill you.
11: Hey, Nick, so. how did I do? <laughs> Good.
7: <laughs> <laughs> I said dilemma. Yeah. I was going to say, add the word donut in there, but <laughs> <not> the <way. laughs>
10: so, mate, that's what I was
7: thinking. <laughs> donut.
10: So,
5: and here this is frog trek for those that don't recognize this frog trek that's also being shown on the screen here too which i'm surprised because one one of the worst clones there there, everybody's playing it
3: (laughs) yep it actually was interesting because up until about wednesday it had like one person that had submitted a score for it and then like eight or nine people submitted scores for it in the last couple of days so everybody tried it at the end (laughs) Yeah, that, I think
7: just this experienced the badness of it. Yeah was that was that after my comment on Discord that said this game sucks? Oh no, we knew that way ahead of time. Oh, okay. well, so
5: I think I thought... everybody
3: was thinking that if uh, Nick Morentes hates this game, it's got to be pretty good. <laughs> because I know he, <laughs> he likes neutroid. though, like, can you trust him? <laughs> he he uh, thought he, he he made neutroid. So if he thinks it sucks, then it's got to be a pretty good game.
6: <laughs> I, I like uh, Bryce's review of that
3: game. What were they smoking when they made
5: this? Yeah. I mean, I'll I'll give the author a little bit of credit because this is one of the earliest Frogger clones. It was his first machine language game he ever tried. I think he had trouble trying to get the speed up, so he actually only scrolls like the first three lanes uh, before and after the current frog position because he didn't have enough CPU time the way he wrote it to keep everything running at
7: once. You never said that about my new toy, my first (laughs) program. Yeah, but did you that. took 40 years and you still
5: couldn't get it right. So, you know, no, the, <laughs> this guy did it in months, man. I fixed <laughs> up my mistakes. <laughs> Your bugs? Are you admitting you
0: have bugs now? Oh, not, no, no there's no bugs.
3: Way different. Mistakes and bugs are different things. Uh, anyway, so, what, what's the game for next weekend? Well, that's uh, that's our <laughs> Thursday night Game On Challenge Live. Uh, it's in the Discord on the Game On um channel so come by play some games with us or just stay and talk or join us in the audience that's on thursday nights whatever your local time is for that so for next week we are playing super pitfall for one more week every pac-man and (laughs) this game
5: oh this is uh it's I by JR. Soft stuff or something, isn't it? It's something bomber or something. Ah, geez, I can't remember
3: Does anybody else recognize it other than Curtis? Or buried <laughs> someone?
5: Curtis it, lost. It, 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 uh, mm. I'm going to guess buried bucks. I'm just
10: guessing. Oh, that's as as very close. Um,
3: where's the? Right, I guess yeah. Buried bucks. Buried bucks. Oh, I did remember it right on. Yeah. <laughs> and apparently it's broken broken by <laughs> Dell and what is so the, the idea is of this game is that you're a helicopter and you have to drop to shoot down holes into the earth and pick up the little money things and then there's a plane going over top of you that drops bombs to fill the holes in somehow their bombs fill the holes in and yours make the
5: holes
7: So, <clears throat> since when did video games have to make sense <laughs> and what happens if uh, you can't see the red tri- box? What about the orange box?
3: Um you can play it in any color you want. Any color is accepted.
5: <laughs> yeah, and in your case, Nick, you can do it in PAL, and you can see the vertical white stripe boxes.
3: There yeah, there you go. The stripe. The box. jail bar box. So that is going to be our game for the next two weeks. And enjoy. That's that for that.
7: Okay. Next.
5: <laughs> okay, so uh, do you want me to go through the announcements and stuff here first? Yeah, go ahead.
0: Okay. White or whites? Okay, you guys are shaking VCF
5: uh, so-, so SoCal. Hi. Hey, okay, so upcoming events: <clears throat> uh, VCF Southern California, February seventeenth to eighteenth, in Orange, California, at the Hotel Fair Events Center Hotel. Um, that is one that Wayne Campbell is going to try to make it too. Um, I don't know too much more about it. Um, I think it's making a return; that hadn't been around for a while, so kind of curious to see. I'm um, really curious to see what Wayne finds there, see how much of a cocoa representation we have there. Next, after that is the Interim Computer Festival. This is one that was a VCF and kind of disappeared for a while, and now they're kind of resurrecting it back, but it's not got full VCF status again. Marco Boros knows more about this one than I do. That's in Seattle, Washington,
9: at Interest Space on March 23rd and 24th. And I think Mark is still planning to make this one. I'm planning on it, and uh, they still don't have registration open. And it isn't the original people that did the VCF Pacific Northwest. It's just people, I guess, attended there. And so they're missing that event, and they're trying to bring it back because there is a demand. I agree.
5: Next one after that is, uh, of course, the one that most of us are the most familiar with, which is Cocoa Fest. The the last one, the 32nd last one. Um, that is going to be May 4th to 5th in Carroll Stream, same hotel as we had last year. I will mention, because I don't know, is Grant still on the call or did he leave? Nope, I'm still here. Okay, I might as well let you handle this because you have some announcements about tables, etc. for this one too, so...
1: Yep. Just want to let everybody know that registration has opened up um, and tables are going extremely fast. Uh, We had 49 tables and I believe there's only 11 tables left. So if you were thinking about uh, getting a table, you might want to book it now instead of later. (laughs) So um, and I think I meet with the hotel here later this week. We're going to talk about maybe putting some tables in the hallway or into another room if possible. So I'll keep everybody uh, up to date on that cuz I have never seen the tables go as fast as this has. So I mean 30, 30 some my tables gone in less than a week is just amazing. <laughs> so but, Yeah, uh, I mean
5: you, you have what 49 tables
1: I think total? Yep. 49 and tables got... and we only have 11 left. So I think yeah. uh, So
5: basically the stuff in red here for those watching the the show on 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 video here, anything in red's already been booked and anything green is the only things left. <laughs>
1: Scroll
0: up to show the X's what's, what's there. That's, that's where you can be. Well,
5: the X's are the ones that are already
6: gone.
0: So no, I mean, well, that's gone. what I mean. That, that's the few yeah. blank ones scattered here and there. So if you want to be next to somebody.
6: Boy, nobody wants that th- 36 to 40 row, do they?
1: Candylist.com. Go check right. it out. Live. Yep. Candylist.com. Uh, also, um, we have the uh, menu for the dinner on Saturday night. There'll be um, barbecue uh, brisket with pulled pork. <clears throat> Uh, corn, uh, mac and cheese, baked beans, and a dessert with a salad. So uh, that'll be $45 per person on that. So uh, everybody should hopefully enjoy that as well. And then uh, if you're wanting to do a presentation, just get in touch with me. Just send me an email or contact me directly on Discord, Grant Leedy, or CocoFest at glensideccc.com. Uh, we're probably going to have about uh, room for about five to six presentations. So, and um, we're not going to do presentations on Sunday because people wanted to uh, attend at booths and tables more than they do with the uh, uh, seminars. So we're going to not do any seminars on Sunday because everybody's packing up and trying to get things finished and so forth like that. Yeah, because
5: some people fly out that same evening, so they're kind of shutting down a little bit early.
1: Exactly. Now, <clears throat> before we go to the you, next – oh, Are you are you wanting to do a music night again this year? That was something I was going to ask you. God yes. forbid. Help us all. But,
5: yep. uh... <laughs> Definitely are. Uh, there's There's some <laughs> special plans for this one, too. So,
1: yes. Okay. Yeah, let me know about that and I'll get that in the schedule as well. So.
5: The Grant Leakey song will make its premium. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs>
1: oh, great. <laughs>
5: <laughs> um, now, before I go on to the the last couple of shows that are upcoming here, uh, Mark, virtual Cocoa fest uh, an update from you. I know you've posted onto Facebook now in various groups that it's happening. So if you want to give some details yeah. for those that aren't on Facebook.
9: Um, uh, yeah, I should have posted on the uh, Cocoa uh, mailing list also, and I haven't. Um Let's see, I did a post on Age. So uh, did I post on Atariage? or Maybe I didn't. Anyway, um, basically, if you can't make it to the Fest, Virtual Fest, basically uh, the end of the month, 27th, 28th, got a lot of time slots available. Nobody's really contacted me directly yet. Uh, just I've had some people note some interest, but nobody's actually said, yeah, I want to do it, and what times do I have? So uh, Virtual Cocoa Fest, basically, Virtual Fest, We'll do Dragon, we'll do uh, potentially Luciano, we'll be doing something with the uh, Brazilian clones, so looking forward to that. Um, and anything anything, Coco, Dragon, Brazilian clone related, we want to hear about it. Especially if you're not going to be able to make it to an actual fest, either Coco Fest or the Dragon meetup or BCF or whatever, this is your chance to uh, basically do a presentation from your own home, business, or lair, if you're one of those types of mad scientists. Anyway. Yeah. Even the red stepchild? Even the red stepchild
4: okay oh the alice yes that one because <laughs> it's red
9: <clears throat> exactly
5: for, for those of you who've been watching the show uh since its previous incarnation as well you'll remember we did a virtual fest during covid that was actually hugely successful i think it's still the best viewed show we've ever done and it was a six-hour marathon of going through presentations that would have been at the fest had people been able to attend in person there was a lot of fun so
10: and the uh, year right, after if, that, we
9: did the dragon one, which was yeah. very long also and pretty well attended.
0: Yeah. I think that was our longest show was the virtual Cocoa Fest, wasn't it?
5: It was over six hours. I, I remember it that. It was over six hours,
11: yeah. yeah. It was a monster.
5: <laughs> <laughs> but we, we had a lot of live viewers. And we had a lot of people viewed afterwards. So it was definitely worth it. And the nice thing about those types of shows is that you can... You know, view it in bytes after the fact. If you want to only have time for like an hour, you can watch the first presentation or two and then come back to it later and see the other ones. But it keeps people abreast of what's happening in the community, what's happening in the hardware and software development um, for people that just can't make it either due to monetary reasons or distance or health or whatever else. so.
6: And that's in three weeks.
5: <clears throat> yep. Right. And Mark, if, if people yes. do want to send present or, or to book presentations that they want to give, and they're not on Facebook to respond to your posts, how should they get a hold of you?
9: Oh, yeah. Um, I, we do have an email. Um, uh, basically, I'm using the Coco Tech ones. There's a Coco Tech at the com that will get sent to me uh, if you want to book or ask any questions about that. Um, also, you can use that for Coco Tech questions, too, if you have any um and then beyond that um on the coco discord you can get a hold of me there i'm marco and uh one of those in orange one of the few in orange um other than that uh facebook messenger um regular email i'm on the coco mailing list as well but i don't follow it that closely um so but i'll try to look out there too as well okay
5: thank you mark continuing on with the other shows we've got boat fest the third annual boat fest june 14th to 16th this is at the social event space in Hurricane West Virginia. This is a broad retro show, uh, mostly focused on gaming. There's some hardware upgrades and stuff being done and gaming on both computers and consoles. So you see a wide variety of, of computers and consoles there, like Vectrix and Cocos and Amigas and Ataris and Model 100s and all kinds of things. So it's a lot of fun. Ken and I have been to that event before, too, and I think we're both planning on going this year as well. So it's a lot of fun. Next up of that is uh, VCF uh, Southwest. This is the one that's in the home of Tandy uh, in the Davidson Gundy Alumni Center at the University of Texas in Dallas. And there is a group meet of a lot of the ex-Tandy employees that is planning on taking place uh, this year as well. They actually had a whole panel last year. I don't know if they're doing that this year or not, but uh, there is definitely a, a Tandy gathering being planned. I was hoping maybe I can make this one this year. It's on the exact same weekend as Boat Fest, but uh, it just wouldn't quite work out. So I am planning on going next year and hopefully I can meet Mark Siegel and some others in person. But uh, we saw some of the videos that they recorded this one last year, including the Tandy panel. It was very interesting. <clears throat> they went through the whole you know the whole history of the video text and uh, some of the early cocoa history a bit on that too. and then of course, you know the model one and three and four and everything else too. So definitely worthwhile to go to. and a little promo here. Um, this is the uh, blog of Glenn, and uh, if you want to catch up on what he's doing on his books and stuff here, then you can definitely check this out. Uh, and this is uh, mainly here because he's going to be our guest now. Move to February the third. So come on in uh, that show and ask him any questions about the book. He'll have hopefully some uh, you know old cocoa uh, memorabilia and stuff from you know the code writing days and some of the notes and stuff that he took back in the day. And uh, it should be a real fun show. And this is actually the premiere of his. Uh, Final book, this is a four-book four series, I believe?
8: Yeah, four books. And have you got an audiobook version of this one out, or is it being worked on at this point? So the manuscript is done. It's in the hands of my editor. As soon as I get it back, I will do the audiobook, because there is no better editing tool for me than reading it aloud into a microphone. I find <laughs> lots of mistakes. So, yes, <laughs> I will be doing an audiobook.
5: Okay. So that's it for the upcoming show announcement. So I'll stop that share. And uh, Mark, are you playing in doing the do little intros or should we cut those out just to save time?
6: Oh no, we gotta do the intros. <sighs>
11: Video game from your stories?
8: Um, Absolutely. Do you ever take it away, Curtis?
5: I I mean, there's. Go ahead, Google, and let you finish your thought first.
8: Well, I mean, so there is a game at the beginning of the in the first book. um, It's called the Game of War, and there is a game I designed, and I don't know, you know, if if that would translate directly, but there is a core of a game that I would love to play.
5: Cool. Sorry. Um. You guys seeing setting up four on the screen? I just want to make sure I shared the right one. Yep. <laughs> so I got two darn many windows open. Okay. So the first one here, uh, Jim Gary, not quite as busy as the last two weeks were, uh, but he's put out a couple things. So the first one here is a port of a game called Dungeon, originally by Brian Sawyer, done in 1979, the Commodore PET, and this is a rogue like before rogue actually became a thing. Um, I've fast-forwarded a little bit here because it has a bit of time where it's setting up the dungeon, but actually it's, it's a pretty decent roguelike. Um, it has the part where you can only see, like, a certain amount from your torch here. Like, you'll see you're the X here in Slash. You can see some of the walls. And he does his little YX animation for the legs, but you actually can wander through, and it'll light up the map as you're going through it type thing. Which, for an MC-10 game, that's pretty cool, I think. Um, and, you know, the original and the pet as well. So that's a a really cool one. Now, this one, he actually wrote a full blog post on it, too, as well. So if you go to his uh, jimgaryblogspot.com, I just type in Mania here. You can actually go through a bit of the history of the game. He also fixed some bugs. So apparently the original game, it looked like the original author on the pet was planning on a feature that he only partly implemented and then basically dropped. I don't know if it was running out of RAM or just decided it wasn't a good idea or whatever, but Jim decided to finish it off. So he goes in a bit of explanation of what the original routine was supposed to be doing and then his fixes for actually fixing it up. And I'll let you read the blog post because we've been pressed on time. I won't go into details on it, but if you want to see that, you can pull up his uh, blog spot and you can get the direct link to it in the show notes that is on our Cocoa Discord server. Another game that uh, Jim did this week is A Port of Othello, originally by Richard O. Duda. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing his last name right, but hopefully I am. This originally appeared in the October 1977 issue of Byte Magazine, and it was a completely text-based one. So it uh, has a bit of AI intelligence here for playing against the computer. And it's also a game that is also known as Reverse I think that was the other most popular name for the game itself. So I think that one actually might run in 4K too, although I'm not positive. Uh, next up, um, because we're running some time, I won't play the video like I was originally planning. But uh, there's some reorganization going on at Amigos Retro Gaming. If you're a Patreon, so originally they had Patreons for each of the shows. So the Coco Show had a Patreon, the Amiga Show has a Patreon, ARG Presents has a Patreon, the Spectrum Show, the Atari ST Show, etc. Um, that was becoming a bit of a bear um, for you know just people having to pay like for all these different shows, especially if they liked all the computers. There, it was getting a bit expensive, and also I think there was a buyout of the people that actually are do the um, – uh, I can't remember which one it was now. Anyway, one of the streaming services actually uh, bought out something, and basically the, the reorganization has made things even more difficult. So they're just redoing it now where basically they're going to be combining all the shows except for the Amiga show itself into one single Patreon. So you can chip in more money if you still want to contribute as much as you were before. But basically it'll cover for all the shows that are not the uh, the specific Amiga ones. So that'll cover you know the Coco Show included. And this this video here they put up is basically explaining the reasoning why they've done it, what exactly is changing, how to go about changing if you're already a Patreon supporter, how to how to change it to the new system, etc. Uh Chronological Gaming uh is back on after a Christmas break and uh they had a couple of Coco related games that are, they're currently doing September of 82. Now, Donkey King, as far as I can tell, actually didn't come out till oh it was first advertised in December 82 Rainbow. So it probably came out in November, but uh, September is probably a little bit early. But he he was kind of going ahead and during his Christmas break and trying things uh, you know, to prepare for the shows coming up over the next few weeks. And Donkey King excited him enough he decided to jump the gun a little bit and he's kind of making the presumption that maybe it got released in September. And, you know, technically maybe it did. I don't know how much the lead time was in Rainbow Magazine back in that that time. Uh, but he did a review of Donkey Kong and he was he was quite surprised at how good it is. And, of course, this is a benchmark game on the Coco. It's one of the first ones that I think most of us saw back in the day that actually we felt competitive. As some of the other machines out in the day. Um, this is a, a Chris Latham masterpiece. And of course, he later on went to do Sailor Man, which is actually technically an even better game, but not as popular as Donkey Kong. Um The original Popeye and the arcade was not as popular, so that uh, didn't sell quite as well, and it's probably not as common. But uh, if you want to see his review of Dunking, and the chat room was quite liking it too. You can see people that are you know C64 users and Spectrum users were going, "Holy cow, this is really good, actually." And then uh, a little bit later in the week, he did another one. This is a flyby, and um, or sorry, German warfare. And uh, this was a Chroma set uh, game. So, this is one of the ones we included on the Chroma set tape magazine that usually gave you like eight to 10 programs every month for a very cheap price. And you subscribe to it just like a magazine. They'd have little tutorials, they'd have utilities, they'd have some games, some in basics, some in ML. And this is a little ML game that he played um, from one of those. So, obviously, it wouldn't write as good as Donkey King. But for a magazine game, it actually wasn't too bad. It had a bit of variety to it. Uh, next up, Brian Palmer. <clears throat> Fellow Aussie to Nick, excuse me, has been on a a bit of a mission here to recapture a lot of the games that were published in the Australian Cocoa magazines, like Australian Rainbow, Australian Cocoa, etc. And he's typed in another one here called Terminator 2, which is written by Dennis Mellican, which is a text adventure game from Australian Cocoa magazine, August of 1987. And it's a big enough text adventure game. You actually had to do these pokes here to make the equivalent of a P-Clear Zero, which I don't know why handy microsoft didn't just put that properly in the ROM, so it work um because it basically will take the entire 32k and you don't even have enough room for a graphics page i haven't had a chance to actually play this one myself so i'm not sure what the game premise is i'm assuming it's based on the movie of the same name um and i'm a huge fan of the terminator movie so i might actually have to give this one a try but you can download that from the facebook group now and it should be on the color computer archive possibly this weekend or next week Uh, next up, Matt Dar, who's been doing a game that we covered last week, uh, where he's kind of going through the basic manuals and learning how to program. And he did a game, um, which is, this is now his second update to it. So he's had a couple updates. The original one was very simple. It was just, you know, block graphics, just green and black, and that was it. Now he's added some color. He's added some multiple levels, etc. Um, I will play a little bit of a clip here because it's only 41 seconds. And it's basically, a catch the shapes as they fall game. <laughs> And dodge other shapes that you're not supposed to catch. And keyboard operatives, you can tell by the background sound. But he just started going through the basic manuals literally in the last few weeks here. So he's he's progressed quite a bit because now he's kind of straying away from the manual itself and the sample games they have. And just, you know, using what he's learned so far to write his own, which is, you know, how all of us started, so. And then he started doing another one here that's also text based and this is based on the arcade game Lunar Rescue um another one done in low res graphics but actually looks pretty decent And since these are in low res I'm sure these could be ported to the MC10 fairly easy too <laughs> So anyway, the same as the arcade game originally, you launch from the ship above, you have to dodge the things that are moving back and forth, and then land on the landing pads, if you miss, you die, and rescue astronauts, which is a little black dot that will running across the screen once you land and you rescue them. And the different levels have different colors and stuff, so he's actually expanding the color palette a little bit as you get to between the different levels. So he's been doing pretty pretty good stuff for just you know basically starting basic programming from scratch. And the last one here, um, we've covered his channel before. So this is a Spanish speaker, and the channel's called Expert Tech, and he's normally like an IT guy, but he has a Coco 2, a real one, and he uses that to record some game videos, and he's only got a monochrome uh amber monitor. So everything he plays is in amber. And in this case here, he did another chroma game, which is called Flyby, which is kind of a junior space invaders, I guess, type thing. So uh I don't know if you guys recognize it or not, but <laughs> I, I turn closed captioning the on the so you can kind of understand what he's saying. Con puedo y... ah,
10: ahí está.
5: Yeah, so you got a variety of shapes to shoot down. They're coming in different directions. So that's a bit different space areas, but you have the two uh, shields that gradually get you know blown away as, as things progress and you can hide under them and you shoot, etc. So nice little fun game. It's not a, you know, a standout or anything like that, but I thought I'd give him a bit of coverage there that's it for the game on news if you want to play the other intro there i'll get the
0: when you want the latest in trs 80 tandy dragon mc10 and all of their hardware cousins no matter what it takes
9: for where news breaks from around the world To your nation,
0: the Cocoa Nation News with L. Curtis Boyle. Oh,
6: psychedelic!
10: Yeah, cool. Eat.
5: Okay, so the first one is from Rich N in the Coco Discord channel, so he's actually working on his first machine language game, and he's going to do a clone of Spy Hunter, which is actually a game we never got on the Coco, as far as I know, and it is one of my favorite arcade ones. Uh, I did have a roommate who did start one, he was calling it Spy Chaser, and he got the title screen, and I think he got the very basics of the scrolling started, and then he got an IBM PC and never looked back, so that was the end of that one. Um but he's actually set up recently an actual homepage for it, where it actually has a lot of details. So you can see some screenshots here kind of in the background. And then you've got these clickable links like, you know, why did he pick to do Spy Hunter You know, versus any other arcade game? And he kind of goes through the history of that. He's got the game layout and coding section, and he's got a whole bunch of sub bits there. Like, you know, I was doing the sprites. I was doing the sound effects, the music, uh, road courses, et cetera. So if you can click on any of these boxes, you can get the details of that particular subject here. And here we are using graph paper again. Um, So he's kind of designed the game there and then shows out actually someone that gets displayed, some of the sample machine language code, etc. And Glenn, you were asking before about still producing Cocoa 1 and 2 games. This is one of them. That's currently under development. So Uh, I Also, he uploaded to the Discord itself, he uploaded some video of the game in action so far, and he put up two videos. One is actually using the RF out on a Cocoa 2, so you're going to see a lot of noise and stuff on the screen, just like the old days. And then he did another one that's going through the Coco DV, which actually does a super cleaned up signal. And that's the one, Coco DV is the one by Alan of um, ACs, right? Is that correct? I think so, yeah. Okay. So you'll notice a definite increase in quality of the screen here. But I'll play a little bit of the game here from his RF out. So he's got some of the scrolling graphics. He's got the car you can drive back and forth. You can shoot. the. Uh, I can't tell if that was the oil slick or the smoke cloud thing, but I can see oil slick. And the opponent card, of course, isn't doing much except just driving straight. But the scrolling's already working and, and the player steering is working and some of the weapons are working, so he's already a fair bit of through it.
0: That is so cool.
5: Yeah, I'm looking forward to this. I, I was a huge fan of, of Spy Hunter in the arcade. and we never, we never got one. That was one of the few games we didn't, didn't get a clone of, at least not that I'm aware of. And if you That's have a Coco DV output, this is, you know, how much cleaner it looks. Now, it loses a, some of the artifacting subtleties, but it still looks pretty darn good. And you can see the selection here on the bottom of uh, the various so, weapons you can use from the original game. Because the original K game had quite a few buttons on the uh, steering yoke stick style thing. Really looking forward to that, though. But if you want to keep up on his progress, he's been posting in the general game... A channel on our Discord, and he's also now got that new blog posting up that I mentioned earlier. Which you get the link from in our show notes on the Discord, and he's planning and updating that as he progresses. And there's a ton of stuff on there now. I haven't even had a chance to read it all myself yet.
0: So, is there anyone here who hasn't written one of these ver- vertical scrolling kind of race games and BASIC just to, as a thing that you did back in the day? And don't you feel bad for yourself now? <laughs> <laughs> yes, and yes. <laughs>
11: I had Desert Rider to play with.
5: Yeah, it's kind of a 3D. And that was a kind of a cross, a bump and jump and pole position. Uh, next up, TSA Retro Programming is uh, did a, a bit of a show on some different graphics techniques. Like he's been experimenting with Get Put and using PCopy to smooth out the animations and stuff here. So he was experimenting with just using Draw. Uh, changing the color and actually animating stuff that way, as opposed to using get and put. I don't think the result personally looks quite as good, but it does, you know, cut down on memory size because get put buffers. Of course, you have to dim arrays to hold all the graphics data, whereas a draw string is actually a lot smaller. And in this case, he's using it for his uh, game, Ultima, Ultimate, which is kind of an Ultima style game. So he wants more room for you know the actual game itself versus just the graphics. It doesn't play too bad
3: then I ported it... Like
5: he's P got a couple of different characters one, and he's got these little so snakes coming
3: colors, by. And there's one by
7: one. And then the enemies move one by one. And you can either, you can either advance or attack or cast a spell. And um,
5: He's also been experimenting with changing different modes. Like he might use P-Mode 4, he might do some color stuff. Like he's experimenting with doing a lower res one like this to give him a bit more free memory for the game itself. Um, you had to redesign the graphics a little bit between the shapes here because, you know, this is literally one quarter of the res of the other one. But uh, he's kind of going on that. He's almost finished his uh, Tales of Suburbia game, too. Um, he's just tidying up the tape save routines and stuff. So I'll keep uh, posting about that as he does more updates. Uh, George Jansen on his Coco 3 Assembly language series here has released Lesson 5, which is getting into some more detail of uh, the MMU in particular here and how to move code around between blocks. Uh, so far, he's been showing you how to do graphics and text screens on them. Now he's showing you you can actually map you know, code in and out type thing. He starts off with the high-res text stuff that he started on on the pre- or left off the previous episode and then gets more into it there. Uh, once again, if you go to his channel on Discord, we have a channel dedicated to this series and he actually uploads disk images with the actual source code. So if you don't want to type in all the stuff yourself, I personally believe if you do type it in, it'll sink into your brain better than um, if you just load it. But if you're pressed for time, et cetera, you can actually just load it and go through the program and then make your own modifications to figure out how stuff works. Uh, Micro hobbyist Frederick, um, he uh, started his second episode and this took him several takes to do and he's actually, because of the frustration he had trying to make videos for this, uh, he mentions during this video that he's going to be changing how uh, he's doing them a little bit more in the future uh, to help speed things up. So he's found himself editing video more than he was actually dedicating to actually doing the hardware project which is kind of you know not what his main goal is um so he's gonna be changing it up a bit here but he's going through here he's doing some testing and a little bit of breadboarding to get a six through a nine uh computer that he's basically to keep building from scratch and this will be a three megahertz probably overclocked to four because a six through nine tends to overclock to four and five fairly easily and he kind of goes through the details of setting up the breadboard and stuff for, just for the testing and here's just basically just testing the six around making sure the signals are working and here you can see a little picture of the uh, breadboard itself, and he explains what each piece is doing and why. And this is a hardware stuff, so I don't understand any of it, so I'll let you guys explain it later.
0: Right, Rick? That's just too pretty. I can't comprehend. <laughs> my, my my breadboards have wires kind of nested and ratted, and these are all nice. I, 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 I just realized <laughs> I, I probably have to send him a link
5: to get back on the show again, so I'll have to do that oh, yes, uh, later will. on. I totally forgot about him.
0: He's wondering, why can't I get on?
5: My password is not working. Uh, Next up, we have Retro Tech Repair. This is a follow-up video because he was actually getting that yellow bar problem, which you can kind of see in the thumbnail on the left side. And normally, this is that 555 timer chip that goes. But there's also some resistors and capacitors in that area here. And he did the capacitor change. And some people in the comments afterwards were saying it probably was the resistor because basically you can approach it from two different directions. You bump one up and you bump the other one down and they were thinking it's the other way around. So this is a video of him kind of exploring, was it maybe the resistor as opposed to the capacitor that replaced that uh, probably would have fixed the actual problem versus adjusting for it. And I'll let you guys watch it Mm -hmm. to find out if that was what happened or not. But anyway, he did manage to fix the yellow bar thing. Next up, a YouTube channel called I Didn't Buy These. A bit of a misnomer.
0: (laughs) <laughs> That's what uh, you tell your wife.
5: Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I didn't buy <try> that.
0: <laughs>
5: did I you showed up in that. the doorstep from Amazon. I don't know why it got here.
11: I got you a couple skirts. I don't know what this is. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> I did get dinner coupon. Um,
5: so he got a Kogel 3 here in pretty well mint condition. Like it's not yellowed. Yeah. It was still in the plastic. Um, inside the box. The box isn't even that badly damaged. You can see on the thumbnail here. The original manuals are there. pages uh, are cables. still in it. <laughs> yeah, like it's it's in really, really good shape. And uh, so he plugged it in and, and did... <laughs> nope. Um, now, he wasn't somebody that was really into the cocoa much, and this came as part of some other stuff he bought. So he's actually just made a video to show what it was like, and he's already sold it to somebody that actually had been trying to get a Cocoa 3 for a while. I don't know if this other person watches the show, but I did uh, send the guy a message that if you can pass on our show, maybe he's in the chat now, I don't know. Uh, but he did sell it to somebody who has been trying to get a Coco3, and if, as we mentioned earlier in the show, Cocoa 3 prices have gone absolutely through the roof on eBay, mm. and uh, this this was a much better deal than your average eBay one, so hopefully the person that actually bought it will find us out from my sending a message to the seller, and uh, hopefully will join us at some point. It'll be great to see another Coco3 owner back into the fold. Another uh, follow-up one. So Primal Bits on YouTube, he actually went through a video last time, I think it was a week ago, maybe two weeks ago, uh, about Cocoa 1 that he's gotten back. And uh, he just had the raw Cocoa 1 with nothing else. So he went and bought a silver tape recorder, but it's not a Tandy one. Uh, it's uh Sanyu, I think. Yep, yeah. And he uh, decided to give it a test. So he wrote a quick little you know, basic program demo, just very simple, you know, 10, print something, 20, print something, 30, go to 10 type thing. And test it out to make sure it's saving and stuff and make sure he gets the right volume level adjustments and uh, got all that working. So he saved the program and he loaded it back in. And he's planning on doing some more follow-ups on this a little bit later now that he's actually got storage for it. Now, he does want to keep this machine in almost the original condition he bought it. So it's a pretty decent quality uh, Cocoa 1 F board. Possibly. Yeah, I think it's an F board, but it's only got 16K of RAM in it, and it only had a color BASIC in it. Now, he does want to upgrade to Extended BASIC, because he
12: Play wants the in. graphics yeah.
5: capabilities. But he does not plan on taking it past 16K, because he wants to keep this one as more of a pristine, first gen Cocoa, as most people would have bought it back in the day. Um, I think he's planning on getting some other cocos to get you know past that point, but he wants to keep one in his collection as, as a 16K, but he does want the Extended BASIC. So,
0: Editorial comment. Because yes. the Coco uses a cassette relay, almost any cassette will work with it. The on off will work. Uh, for phone. instance, the, the TI 99 4A had an electronic switching scheme for their cassette, and only some cassette players would work with it. But this is Coco has a dumb relay. It'll work with anything that could use the switch on the side of a microphone. So, yeah. yeah. Now, I have heard
5: some people mention that some Coco or some tape recorders actually. Don't quite get the signal clean enough to work. Is that well? That could be that?
0: electronically a problem, but there was just a basic flaw in some other small computers where they electronically switched the cassette, so it had to switch on a positive. Or you know, we used a relay.
10: It worked. Yeah. We don't. I mean,
5: back in the day, I had several. I had, I had CTR and the CCR. I think the eighty-one and the seventy-something for the CTR one from Radio Shack. And then I ended up selling those and then I needed to get a cassette for something. I had to restore some stuff off cassette that I'd kind of forgotten about before I sold them, because I got my disc drive and then I'm getting like a third party, not a Sanyo, but some generic tape recorder and it worked fine. I remember even using my ghetto blaster on occasion.
0: Right. Right. So Walk yeah, I over. kind of agree
5: with you on that one, but I have heard people lately saying that's, you know, some of the cassette recorders people are picking up these days do not work well, or are super fussy sir. on the volume or
3: they're barely, barely electronic. <laughs> and it could also be that the, um, the uh, belts are wearing out in those uh, tape players. Oh, old
5: so. ones? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, if it's starting to slip, you'll get start getting the you know, variable speed and it won't exactly work properly.
0: Yeah, that's entirely possible. Right. That's when you start turning it on its side and upside down. <laughs>
5: <laughs> that's when I buy a disk drive or even better yet, a Coco SDC, which Frank notified us in the chat earlier <laughs> he's back in stock. Mm-hmm. Although I will mention that uh, to use a Coco SDC, you have to have extended basic.
0: Yes, yes.
5: As you do for disc drive in general.
0: Color basic only looks for extended basic. And then extended basic looks for anything beyond that. So, yeah. yeah, you have to be in line. Now, this is an interesting one. Nick, I'm hoping you have some comments on this
5: one, if you're still awake. Yeah, um, I am. So, Tony Lakari. I'm not sure how to pronounce his last name, but he's a person that lives in Australia, and he's in his late 60s. And he used to be very active in the cocoa community. and was part of the clubs and stuff. And he's still got a ton of his old cocoa stuff. And to quote his uh, thing on Facebook here, and uh, this is going to be visual, so my apologies to the audio-only listeners. But he said, I found another Kogo peripheral in my collection. Used it about 20 years ago or more. Forgot I had it till now. Anyway, here it is. If anybody has seen one like this, let me know. Uh, this has inputs and outputs and a program that comes with it that uses peaks and pokes. And it's called the Kogo Connection. So I'll zoom this up a little bit here. So it it's a basically board? kind of a, an well, electronics
0: hobbyist board, I guess. It's, yeah, it's two PIAs and a board. Yeah. So you can yeah. do things...
7: That'll be two PIA's, yeah.
5: So basically, you can program the port input and outputs and stuff here, and there's some wires and stuff you can plug into it. And it looks like mm-hmm. it came with a kit with some like LEDs and we'll stuff get here too. got some
0: transistor driven driven LEDs. Yeah. And it was
5: by a company called Goldsoft out of
7: uh, Southport, Queensland. So is this something yeah, they, you ever
0: heard about back in the day, there, Nick?
7: Yeah, Goldsoft. They also the ones that took over the magazine and did the uh, the Coco mm-hmm. magazine later on. Okay. But did you ever have this board? Like, you you didn't no, do no. much hardware, but... No, I, I didn't have that. But, yeah, it's just uh, it's two PIAs. So it's more meant as an experimenter's breadboard. Yeah, kind of it's way. an experimenter's board.
0: Cocoa Robots.
5: Yeah, because I, I don't Cocoa remember robot. ever seeing these advertised
0: here in, in North yeah, America. So. hey, you can drive a transistor driver. You can drive a motor. <laughs> no, you, you watch have... out. Those Cocoa Robots will take over the world. Hey, you, I got to show you my Barbie Cocoa Jeep one of these yeah. days. Now, I'm trying to remember from a little bit of hardware I know the PIAs
5: have a, a an A and a B or a one and a two. Yeah, it's like one, port right. thing. eight out, eight in. And you can see a port one A, port one B, port two A, port two B. So that's your two eight bit things. What is port three then? That's on the top of the card.
0: I'm going to guess that's the rest of the chip selects that they got off of their 138. So you could have put six more PIAs in by daisy chaining.
5: Yeah, because if I'm reading it, it says five volt, zero volt for the first two pins, and then six, five, four, three, two. Yeah, one.
0: those are the unused. select Six lines. bits. Those of are bite. the
11: smoking ports.
0: Because you know you, you have you have a byte. They've used two bits, and there's the other six. So presumably they would have some kind of extension that carried on from here.
10: Okay.
6: Well, here in the states, we just had to roll our own.
0: Right. <laughs>
5: Hey, anyway, I thought it was kind of interesting. It's it's a piece of hardware that uh, I'd never heard of because it never got sold up here. So. And it looks like it's literally using a disc
0: thing, but they literally cut it. Yeah, they bought injection molded disc controller. So that was a serious company, wasn't it? It wasn't just a couple of guys it's, in the bedroom. It was probably a uh, script-sit cartridge before. No. Too, too, <laughs> it's, a, the, it's a long the, disc
7: the, controller. the script-sit cartridge would be about that size of the cut part there. Yeah, it's
0: a long disc controller. If you flip it oh, earlier, yeah. it showed yeah. the bottom. And yeah, it, it's, Yeah, uh, that's right. They paid I wonder money if for that case. time. I wonder if that time could you order a spare case from your from like national parts or something? I do believe you could. Hmm. Yeah, you should be able to that would, that would make sense. Nice band song.
9: You're done. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's funny As I made stuff like that for the Apple II. I have a bunch of them. There was a company called John Bell Engineering that has the um, MOS equivalents of 6522s, two of them on a card, and it's got some uh, pin headers, and so you can wire stuff up. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, a, pop, yeah, they, a popular multi platform one,
5: including the Cocoa, was um, ABUS. Yes, they had right. a ton of extra cards and a, kind of their own multi pack slot interface to hold all these cards because they had dozens mm-hmm. of them from dan- digital analog, analog digital clock timers, motor controllers, all yep. kinds of stuff in there.
9: It was a whole system, but yeah. uh, but still, these type of things are great. You can hook them up to a, a transistor, drive a relay, relay and switch stuff on and off. You can automate your house without using an X10 system. So, yeah. all kinds of things.
5: I remember in my case, I could solder hair to it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you don't need one of those for that, do you? No, the, the the expression,
11: expression, oh,
5: <laughs> no it's just the expensive creator. way for me to do it.
11: <laughs> the expression <laughs> pinhead came from this kind of device. <laughs>
5: No. Uh, This next one here, this is a rather interesting one. We posted about it on Facebook. I'm just, I got the YouTube video here now. I won't play the whole thing because it's five and a half minutes long, but I'll play a little bit of it. And basically, Keith uh, Christensen had saved a videotape of some little graphic demos in BASIC that he wrote. Kind of psych- psychedelic, but it has a bunch of different you know, patterns and stuff here. It actually kind of makes a neat screensaver. And um, this was for the Cocoa 1 and 2. So it's got some artifacting graphics. Um. But it's, it's kind of just, you know, interesting to see some of the patterns you came up with here. You know, just with some basic programming. I probably should turn the volume down. A
11: so does he actually have the software for it, or is it just a uh, video of it? I didn't
5: see the software for it, but I haven't checked his post in a while to see if he added that. This was just the video link. But he's like, in this case, he drew some stuff in P-Mode 4, and then he goes and starts switching to P-Mode 0 with different pages, and it starts... You know, changing the resolution and flipping around so it does some very fast animations for basically that just look kind of cool. Some
11: of but they're these, not uh, practical. Some of these effects are VHS. <laughs> <laughs>
5: Only the side changing a little bit. Like this this amount of colors here is actually kind of interesting. So he yeah. had some pretty good artifacting going on there. Of course for Nick, it'd just be a bunch of stripe lines.
11: So how do you yeah. know if some of this was a bug? That he <laughs> that he included. Most of not it a, bug. a bug, it's a
4: feature.
0: Switching P modes and stuff. It's all a bug. <laughs> it
4: looks cool. That's a feature.
0: But still, it was it was pretty interesting to
5: see. Like he he did a bunch of different patterns. Like a lot of these demos existed. A lot of people did these Tier City Microcomputer News magazine of itself added a few of these too. But most of the time it was doing some fairly predictable things like a bouncing box or something. And it just did the same thing. He has a whole bunch of little things here that are done. Um, just to you know, give you some variety, so you can kind of just run in the background as a screensaver or something. Digital Or to art. drive an epileptic nuts, one of the two. <laughs> right. <laughs> anyway, if you want to check out the whole five and a half minutes, you can. I don't know if he's found the source for it or not, though. That's that's a good question. That's pretty good. Uh, next up, Thomas Cherryholms, of course, has been porting Fujinet to the Cocoa and DriveWire, and he's decided to take a bit of a break on the hardcore underneath pinings of it of talking over the network, et cetera. And this time he was actually working on using P-Mode um, 3 uh, graphics to do some of the apps that you can run through Fujinet, in this case, the weather app. And he's kind of got it broken. He's got even got some graphics for the clouds and it's actually pulling this live from, you know, the net of uh, when he took the screenshot on December 31st on New Year's Eve, you know, the temperature and the wind speeds and everything else. And This is the kind of stuff you'd be able to do on Fujinet where you can pull stuff live off the web.
11: And, uh, I don't
5: know, it's looking pretty good. What do, you, what do you guys think?
11: I did that in the uh, 80s, late 80s with uh, my cocoa.
0: Yeah, Wefax. Yeah, but you had BBS yeah, before and before that stuff. That. Now now you don't. You've got
9: to interface somehow.
0: And this is something is like...
9: like that, what? Um, I was going to say that this is piggybacking on Fujinet. So this yeah. basic weather service stuff and the um, International Space Station tracking, that's been in place for a year or two. Yep. Yeah. this is just the cocoa implementation. Right, but yeah, get to it from your cocoa. right? Yeah, exactly. All the rest of the stuff's already in place. So. Yeah. Now, I will mention we do have a
5: weather app already in Nitrous 9, if you have Drywire, that uh, Todd Wallace wrote that will go and grab the stuff and does Cocoa 3 graphics modes doing this kind of thing as well, too. So we do have some of this already and have had it for a year or two. It's already in the previous version of EV- EOU. But it's, it's good mm-hmm. seeing it you know, coming through Fujinet. And Fujinet is a cross-platform thing, so the eventual goal, hopefully is that we can start writing some games that are, you know, are cooperative with, you know, other platforms like Atari 8-bits or Apple IIs or whatever else, and start playing some head-to-head games. And uh, I don't know which platform Buck Owens is going to pick because he has them all and likes them all, so
10: did will be he I used
0: yeah. to live in Denton, Texas. I wonder if that's the Denton they're talking about here. Oh, maybe. I, I don't degrees? know. Probably. That's about right.
9: Cool. Hometown. <laughs> Or one yeah, of uh, actually, Thomas Cherry Holmes lives in uh, Dallas-Fort Worth, Texas area. Okay, so Denton's a little north of there. Yeah, yeah, sense. he's probably on the north side then. So,
11: did you ever hear of a um, a, a place to uh, tellnet to called Star TTY? It would give you the local weather and news and sports, and you know, it it was all um, in um, text. You know, with dividers in text. You know, in different sections on your screen, I've posted it on um, Ron's Garage in the past, and it mm-hmm. was a great place to just you know have it run, and you know it would the weather would change, It'd be a feed. He's, They're no longer in a business anymore. I don't know if it was a, it wasn't a pay thing; it was free.
5: Yeah, I remember coffee Shop had something like that, but you definitely paid
0: for that. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> a lot remember all the free stuff? I used to log into OmniFest here in Wisconsin. It was just a free, the internet should belong to everyone. And they just dialed in and there it was. I miss those days.
5: Yeah, I did some free net stuff that had some of that stuff that I could pull in using the uh, VT100 compatible browser links.
11: Well, you I can tell it. you, there was nothing like having something like that happen because it was like what the big boys were doing with their PCs, you know? But on a smaller scale and it you were, you know, happy to have it at home. And it'd show somebody would come in and you go, take a look at this. And um and they're going you're getting that from the internet? Yeah. Or not internet, but you know, online. Yeah. We didn't I don't think there was internet when we had stuff like that. It was just Well the, uh, the, the, the Internet the
5: underpinning of the internet was been around since ARPANET, which is yeah. way, way back. Okay, well, but it does the fun. World Wide Web, which is I think more what you're thinking of. No, that was
0: Okay so Early flag numbers. day which is when the internet switched to TCP was January 1, 1983. Okay. So we are now 41 years after the start of the actual internet that we could access with hardware that civilians owned.
5: Yeah. <laughs> no on around. the other end I was using Gopher before that and you could get onto weather sites and stuff like that yeah. too so there was protocols on the internet um semantics on the words i guess but what people think his internet now is not what it was known to back then but you had you had limited options for this kind of stuff uh next up alan huffman has posted part four of his entry of the logicker 2023 vintage computing christmas challenge which is to create this pattern it's actually a few extra lines past that in as small of a basic program as humanly possible on a variety of different eight-bit hardware and uh he got some help by Rick Adams here and going through and figuring out some ways to compress it down. And I think this is the one version of the diamond shape. And then Rick did one with that uh, version of Basic that he has that makes it, you can use like structured Basic and generate your code in a structured Basic. And then it exports it automatically to extended color Basic. So you can actually run it on a real Cocoa, but it makes it look more, a lot more you know, modern and
11: pretty like printed, it. et cetera. I could only do it in 63
5: so K. Sorry, a that's, that's the entire program now. So that's a fair bit smaller than the ones that Alan had shown in his previous, which, you know, I think what he started was like two to three times this size. Um, I'm not sure how that's comparing with all the other entries that are becoming in for this uh, challenge, but, uh, we'll have to see what the final result is. And then he did an, uh, I another quick one here, uh, extended color, basic put from data. This is a rather interesting thing. Um, Normally, when you're doing get put buffers in extended BASIC, you would basically draw something on the screen using the other graphics commands. You would get the block, and then you can start putting it elsewhere. What he does here is he's using the var pointer function to actually figure out where the string is stored or the array is stored in in BASIC's uh, memory pool, and then he pokes directly into it. So you can actually create the shapes and the get put buffers directly with pokes, or say read them off a disk file and poke them right into the thing, as opposed to actually using graphics itself to create it in the first place. So rather interesting, I don't know if there's too much practicality of this, unless maybe you got to modify a shape in the middle without having to redraw it, piece out a couple of pixels on it, and then you'll get it again, then put it somewhere else. Like, you might be able to directly manipulate a shape while it's running across the screen, for example, adding, say, a, a rotating light of a UFO or something on it, by just modifying the get put buffer each time you put it, as opposed to having to create a whole bunch of them taking more memory and then, you know, animating through the different ones, so... It does have some practicality. I'm not sure how fast poking would be into this. So you probably could only do it for some fairly minor mods before it slows down too much. But it's a rather interesting way of of doing things. And he's mentioned to me, too, because he had a blog post, another blog post out earlier for a Cocoa-related thing, which then got pulled. And he found out there was a bug in his WordPress thing. It was releasing stuff because he has a scheduled release for a lot of his blogs. And he's got blogs planned for quite a while in the future now. And some of them are already written, so uh, there's some more stuff coming out cocoa related, etc. Too that you'll be seeing in the next couple of weeks. Um, but that one got released briefly too early, and then he yanked it back down. So yeah. look, look forward to some more stuff coming from from Alan. Now this is kind of a, a competitor to uh, Frederick's. Of course, Frederick's is the one we mentioned earlier. He's so doing his 6309 based system from scratch. This is another six three nine based system, basically from scratch. Um, by Dave Collins and this is on Hackaday uh, that he originally posted it and he's on revision 3 so he's actually got a, a board ordered in i think he's supposed to be getting them in from PCB Wave this week this third revision and this is uh, running a uh, 6309 and some other hardware there's a whole description i didn't get a chance to go through it too much here's a rev 2 hand wired board prototype that he did earlier this is the new rev 3 board that he's got on order and um yeah, so there's a couple of six or nine, you know, build yourself from scratch machines on the go here. Uh, his has got a bit of a different hardware spec. Um, this seems to be basically more for the 64K RAM style um, with 16K banks that you can swap in versus, say, the 32 that Sam did. And it uh, goes into quite a bit of detail here, but this is an open source project from what I can tell. So basically, you can find out anything you want to know about the project there, and you hardware guys can probably understand a lot more of this than I can. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of interesting that, you know, from being not one of the best popular machines, you know, the six hundred nine was not the most popular chip. Back in the day, it was used for the Vectrex, some arcade games, the Thompsons, the Fujitsus, and the Coco and the Dragon, basically. And, and now, all of a sudden, there's, like, multiple 639 independently created, you know, CPU-based machines that are just coming out from hobbyists. So, I think people are discovering the power of the six hundred nine chip. And it's kind of interesting to see where these things go, what they choose for graphics and text, and are they going to do r they going to do serial port terminals or what exactly they're doing with it. So you had Frederick's, uh, which is a bit further behind this one and this one as well. So you hardware types that like building your own machines here, I definitely would keep checking these blogs here and see how they're doing. Sweet. And this is another interesting one too, is this is going over to the MC10. So Ruben Apparicio, I have no idea if I'm pronouncing that correctly. My apologies if I'm not um I'll, I'll just read the quote and then we kind of go through the picture here similar to what i did to the alice 4k with the mere rom swap for the us mc10 one allowing using the qwerty keyboard because, of course the alice was french and used the uh what is it called the uh the what
0: yeah a z r t y yeah right
5: Azerty right um basically he internationalized the keyboard of my Alice 32 by patching the original ROM and installing a socket for an EPROM replacement. I have patches for original and for 2.05 system ROMs hacked <laughs> with the monitor programming ROM, which actually came on the ROM with it on the Alice 32 alongside the assembler. And he said, if anybody's interested, please PM me. So if you want to create an insert ver- or a quirky version of the Alice 32, you can. And then he's got some pictures of, uh, the modification he did to actually get the ROM replaced, et cetera, here too. So, and he's got a QWERTY keyboard there, and apparently he's got a few of these machines because you can see a few uh, red Alice's here. So I just thought it was interesting that yeah, there's active you know hackers for the uh, the French machines still doing hardware. We've seen a fair bit of software development from like Jim, Gary, and. Darren Ottery and a few others here too. And uh of course the Coco VGA from Brendan, if they can get that back in stock now that the chips are finally coming back out again. But uh, there's still hacking going on over in France too. Uh next up, I think John Woodworth, was he in the chat earlier, Mark? Do you know? I know Julian was, but I can't remember if I saw John. I've seen Julian.
3: I haven't sent John yet. Okay. So John put up a three and a half minute video
5: here, an update to his Super Bob board that he posted in the Dragon Group on Facebook. How are we doing on time, Mark Bosley?
6: Oh, uh, yeah, we're all right, about half, about half an hour.
5: Okay, so I can play this. It's three and three and a half minutes, so I, I wouldn't even be able to explain all this stuff anyway. So I'll let him explain it.
13: I've done a bit more work on Super Bob, uh, which. I'm sure some of you remember, was a project I was looking at. Crikey, end of 2022 now, maybe into the beginning of 2023. Um, It was this super breakout board. Um, It's been sitting on my desk for ages, actually. I had had a bit of a problem with... uh, I wanted to try and get it to work with a SPO256. And I'd done a stupid little mistake on the analogue part of the circuitry, which was stopping it working properly and also I think I've got a minor foible with the way that I've got the ROM wired in that I need to hold the chip enable and output enable higher via pull-up resistors rather than just letting the cpld do it because that just crashes the computer to start with so I've got a bit of work to do on that part um, because I can't get the ROM to work I've had to just address it via um, direct commands from the Dragon um, and also I haven't quite worked out exactly how to get the ALD response to go back through the CPLD to tell the machine code um, routine that the speech ROM has finished speaking but what I have done is some sloppy basic code which does indeed prove it's working so I thought I would just share it with you just to let you know progress of Dragon Plus projects. Um, here we go. This is how dodgy the code is. It just runs through the the phonemes and uh, several times, so you get a good idea and hear them properly. Otherwise, do a garbled mess. So here we go. I,
12: I, I.
6: That's
13: nine, it sounds like hal 9000 when it's not feeling well and just to <laughs> recap the circuit that's on the board at the moment is with the exception of the fact that it's not using the pia it's using the cpld instead um it's a recreation of the jcb microsystems speech synthesis cartridge for the dragon um hopefully well i don't know it it may not work with the at all. So i don't know whether it would uh whether the ROM would work. I've got to get it working on the Dragon first to see if it will work on the Coco. But, um, well, we'll see. Anyway, um, that's where I'm up to for now on this one. You
5: know. So anyway, it was kind of like their equivalent of a speech sound pack without the uh, the sound part.
11: He sounds like Simon.
5: He does, yeah. <laughs> yeah, John Wythe, of course, is the uh, the guy in charge of Dragon Plus Electronics, which has done a lot of hardware upgrades of so like the... Um, Super Sprite board, et cetera, too. So So it looks like he's actually working on recreating a lot of the old Dragon hardware from back in the day. And I'm like him, I don't know how compatible this would be with the Coco, depending on where it's mapped, I guess.
11: So in the future, he's going to have some software that talks?
5: Yeah, I mean, the whole point of this is a speech card.
7: Mm -hmm.
5: And I think using a similar chip to the speech sound pack, because it's on, sounded about the same.
7: I think it's the same, yeah.
5: And uh, next up is six. He's still in the chat. I think he still is. so my last news story is about his Sam times four. Now we've covered this a couple times. Uh, it's basically to replicate the Sam chip and then Pedro Pena actually, you know, took it and redesigned it to be a bit smaller and then helped, uh, Karen going back and forth between the two of them to detect or to work properly with different Ram size settings. I think the original version that, uh, Karen did not say, for example, work with 4K RAM chips because the Dragon never had a 4K version, so how would he know how to get that tested, right? And, and Pedro actually helped with testing here. So um, this is the actual project page of uh, Karen's himself, and he talks about the different you know, stuff that's been fixed up and the fact that Pedro helped him you know get things working properly for some of the other systems that he couldn't test himself. He's also uh, built a, the board in, so it's a bit smaller. Now he's actually done a 1.2 and a 1.21. Now, 1.21 was just basically a fixing, uh, a missing template file was required for the build. But if I read the notes for version 1.2 here, it says moved PCB files into subdirector. So some, some of this is organizational, included Pedro's PCB shrink in the main distribution. CPLD source now configurable through generics. Build system supports multiple variants. And I thought, what does that mean? And then he says uh, also includes extra variants you can build, quote, for fun, quote sacrifice some ram size functions for extra video offset registers. And that sounded intriguing, so I asked him what exactly does that mean? And he actually sent me a message on Discord last night and I'll just quote him here. Um <clears throat> the additions are more experimental, and may not stay in uh, cuz right now they're replacing some of the you know the more rare ram sizes that uh, not too many machines use these days he said, but for the curious, these are the current additions. CPLD add additional variants with scrolling registers so FF3A uh, does a clear X offset register uh, 5 bit FF3B does a clear video base F register now 11 bit FF3C is a left shift 0 into X off FF3D is a left shift 1 into X off, FF3E is left shift 0 into F FF3F is left shift 1 into F X off added to lower VRAM address bits and I didn't understand most of that so I asked what that exactly means He said, basically, you can configure video base address to be any multiple of 32. Um, Now, the current base address on the regular SAM, I think you can only do in 512 byte increments, if I remember correctly. Is that right, Nick?
7: Yeah, I think that's right.
5: He's got it narrowed down to basically a single scan line uh, or a single text line. Uh, And then an X offset is added to the lowest five bits of the video address, whatever it's calculated to be. So I think that allows sort of offsetting like a horizontal scroll register on the Coke 1 or 2 is kind of the equivalent of it. And 60's now posting in the chat here, so I'll just see if I got that even close to being right. Um, oh, no, he's still answering stuff from 8Bits in the basement, so not related to that yet. But that sounds pretty intriguing. I mean, if it fits in the CPLD and he can you know keep the RAM compatibility options for some of the older machines, in case anybody wants to replace it for that, or you know, maybe request one that has this special thing, you can do some pretty interesting stuff uh, if you have the control over the vertical offset of the screen at 32-byte intervals instead of 512, that means you could literally scroll a text screen one line at a time. A semigraphics 24 could be one scan line at a time. Literally, you could control with the SAM. And it sounds like there's some horizontal there, too. So you actually do some hardware scrolling in both directions, if I'm understanding that correctly. And he's just typing in now in the Discord chat or in the live chat. 11 bits of base address, then 5 bits added to the lowest 5 bits wrapping around. Okay, so it sounds like horizontal um, 5 bits would be 32. Yeah, so you basically can offset one byte increments horizontally and it does a wrap around. So your screen would wrap around horizontally, or you can offset the vertical to anywhere in your 64K memory on a 32-byte boundary, which would basically be a what scan line or a text line. So that would allow you to do some pretty cool games, etc. Um with smooth scrolling and stuff without having the CPU you have to literally copy everything every time. You can just do a sliding two screen window and just pop it between populating the lines as you go as opposed to all ones. And he says yes hardware scrolling was the point, but of course it's not standard. I hope we can keep that in there because that actually opens some possibilities and that that Sam does work on both Coco one twos and on dragons. So um that would be pretty interesting to see what people could do with that. Pretty pretty cool for a project that was only meant originally to replace the original SAM, in case you're SAM blue, because of course it's hard to get those chips now, but now it's an enhanced SAM. Feature creep. Nothing wrong with feature creep.
7: <laughs> <laughs> Is that the last news item? Yeah, I
5: was blistering through because I want to make sure Mark had enough time. To get
7: if if we've got time, I can do one little news thing about my Mark. How are we doing for time? Because you're the one else. Okay, go ahead. Hey, shoot, go Nick. All right, a real quick one. I thought um, I'm just going to be talking about that MP3 thing. Um, A bit of history, quickly. Um, Back when I was doing my game Gunstar, after Gunstar, I started doing a a a bit of a hardware add-on. It was uh, going to be a super game cartridge for the Coco, and the cartridge was going to have an MP3 module player, uh, an Orchestra 90, as well as some flash, um, flash ROM, ROM RAM, whatever you want to call it. And I was going to therefore put Gunstar in ROM, and it would also use the MP3 to play background music while the game was playing, uh, as well as having stereo sound effects Using the Orc ninety. Now, I did the the design and I got Jim to uh, CAD together of a circuit board and he made me a, a prototype. But that was back then. COVID happened, chip shortages, and basically the the project got canned. And um, and I left it. I've done other games and uh, just recently, of course, I've been talking with Bruce, who's um, who's doing a project with uh, using the same MP3 module. But his one, his design, is just going to plug into the serial port and uh, allows him to do MP3 audio. So I, I was thinking, well, maybe I can revitalise my original idea of uh, having Gunstar playing a background soundtrack. And I started looking into it, and I'm thinking, well, if he does that, then maybe I'll just go back and mo- modify the code because I did it all. It was all working, and I do have the prototype, and it does it does operate with the MP three. And uh, I thought, well, maybe when Bruce gets his done, I can also modify my game to use it as well. But in the meantime, I found uh, I still had all the files and all the the music and everything. And last night, I just did a um, a, a mock up video of gunstar the way it would work with the mp3 and um i just thought i'd just play a bit of a bit of that version of uh, of gunstar with the mp3 uh, player as well as all the sound effects just to see what try to get myself interested and excited about going back and revitalizing that um that project so if i can just play the video, I'll just play bits of it. I won't play the entire game, but just so that people get an idea of what it would, what a game on a Coco 3 with a background MP3 music track would sound and look like. So if you want to, I'll just try share share my video. Don't forget to share sound too. Well, I think it'll do that (laughs) automatically. So we'll see. Now you have to click the checkbox. Okay, I will do that. Shit, except I didn't. Hang on, I'll just
10: <laughs> <laughs>
7: I I clicked and I assumed uh, something's gonna pop up and ask me, but it's no, so a we'll checkbox in the lower left of the screen. I know, I just saw it then. And now I will do it. <laughs> when I find my damn video. Oh this is a professional programmer, folks. That's right. <laughs> I hate, I hate this, I'm this. sorry, our time has ended. Well, yeah. <laughs> well, what I was thinking, when, until I find it again, do you want to jump to Bob and show his uh, his Coco Three because that looks interesting? And if we have time, we can go back to this. Once I find the files are just deleted,
10: so oh.
7: <laughs> I, I didn't. I didn't delete. It. I closed it. Now I've got to reopen. Is a that a bug? it's a bug in his gray matter I think is what that's called <laughs> stupidity. so go to Bob and when, when we're done Bob if we have time I'll then play the video okay just before we do that though before you switch the screen here I just wanted to mention there's a, a comment from
5: Dave 609 Mr. Dave in the chat uh, directly to Doug and he said Doug that was epic work on conscious I don't know if yeah. Doug's actually at his uh, computer at the moment there but hopefully you heard that Okay, you can show Bob now.
6: Surprise, Bob. We're well, up. Yeah, surprise. <laughs> here I am. Mic working. Yep. Yep. Okay. And we see your
5: shared screen with Extended Color Basic 2.0. Yeah. So,
4: so working too. Let's see what I got here. Basically, what I'm doing right now, I've been just kind of cleaning some things up inside my boxes, but. Uh I got these replacement buttons for some of my joysticks. There you go. And uh what I'm about to do here is just write a little basic um sort of like a benchmark. I'm gonna write a basic program that counts the button presses, and then I'm gonna press the button a hundred times, and then I'm gonna see how many times basic counted. And then I'm gonna replace the button and do it again and see if I made a difference.
5: I'm trying to remember how fast basic processes a uh, button hits. I think it's tied to v so it would never be more than
0: 60 per second.
4: Still faster than you're going to push it. Yeah, faster yes. than my fat thumb. <laughs> 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 the reason I'm doing this is because I literally, uh, especially with games like Popstar, you know, I'll be hitting the fire button and nothing's coming out. Right, is it? Yeah, I've got one joystick that's yeah. acting up like that, too. So, yeah.
5: I blame Nick's game oh, yeah. on it of course but uh, it's definitely right. the joystick.
4: So if you have one of these deluxe sticks that's doing that these buttons are available. Um they're they're a little pricey on DigiKey and Mauser. They're like 5 bucks a piece, but I got a bag of 6 off of Amazon for I think it was about a, a buck or 2 a piece. Total.
6: Go ahead and uh, put and, the uh, part numbers up on uh, Discord there. Right.
0: And it seems to be true that any Yo, switch uh, that sort of looks like that is that switch. There don't seem yeah. to be many Although alternatives is, that are mistaken for it. That's,
4: there are some that are uh, push on, push off.
0: Right, right. you have to look some, for that. But
4: Right, there's also some that are uh, normally closed.
0: But as far so, as basic form factor, that's...
4: But yeah, they're, they're, I think it's called the 1400 series, and then there's a 1413, a 1412, based on right, which...
0: every number you can think of. Yeah, right.
4: you can find all that in the data sheet. I'll, I'll pull that information and throw it into the... Uh, maybe in the hardware or the general channel.
9: Click on or click off should be called latching, whereas whether the... Well, these are momentary. Right, the, the right. point, though, is there aren't a whole
0: lot of switches that are half a millimeter different or slightly rectangular.
4: Yeah. If they That's a very like common shape, footprint. They're, yeah. they're pretty. Yeah. It's a common push button. Okay. Cool. But, uh, All
7: right. And think then you're I ready? guess I'm ready. Yeah. But, but I think Bob's still going.
4: Well, I got one more thing since we're going back to Nick, I'm just going to do my quick uh, uh, segue here.
10: <laughs> um, yeah.
4: There I you go. What, what serial number is that? looks like J09. You must have went through a lot of units to get that far into the alphabet. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, it's the perception
7: of, of success. <laughs> right. <laughs> I think he said it
5: BS, I think, is what he was implying. Really yeah. do
4: you know why everybody starts serial out.
7: numbers with the million?
4: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right.
7: All right, go ahead, right. Nick. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, just going back, I'm ready. All I have to do now is press one button. So uh, just to uh, um, explain again, this is my um, Gunstar version that was designed for the MP3 cartridge, and this is like a mock-up that I've, mm-hmm. I've set up um, just anyway to give everyone an idea of what it was going to look like. So I'll just play it now. Okay, it's not yet. There you go. Okay, you're seeing a black screen? Yep. Yep, so it says Gunstar MP4 and VLC media player. That's right. And, and that's it. That's all it does. What do you reckon? No, <laughs> no, he, <laughs>
5: it's better than Neutroid. Kind of no. boring,
7: but... Uh, <laughs> yeah. Here it goes, here we go. Now, I don't know if it's too loud or too soft. No, nope, that's good. <laughs> okay. Uh, that's the title, page. Oh, okay. To the first level of the game no 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 the no 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 the, game. Yeah. the asteroid level got to get the code to activate the, uh, the uh, gate. Basically you're trying to save the Earth from uh, alien invasion And you're going to travel from your planet to Earth to the alien homeworld So this part is where we're going to an asteroid here to Activate the wolf and that requires you to do the code down the water to work that out do work that out for uh, yeah then have to hit the uh the gatekeeper for in order to activate the ward gate and uh, this could go off soon Off soon here he goes that's the uh, the gatekeeper getting blown up so the sound effects are uh, coming out well, in this copy it's coming out of the deck but it would on the game cartridge it was going to come out of the orchestra for 90 so here we are we're about to jump into the uh, warp mode and we're entering the alien home world and this is where another background music track will play so I'll just jump forward. see the alien home world is uh, well filled with aliens around the village. we keep traveling until you get to the part of the alien homeworld where you see a lot of uh, machinery, that uh, moving machinery which uh, if you look on the ground there's all those uh, human bodies Uh, the idea is that the aliens are abducting humans from Earth taking them back to their planet and then putting them into these big uh, uh, food processing units Um, this level is called the abattoir so this is where they basically take the humans and chop them up and use for food. So a bit but that's what they are. Oh, <laughs> chicken um, bucket and, maker. And, and eventually, if I can just find it, eventually you'll come against the alien supreme leader. He's somewhere up here. I'll let it just play. It's up here somewhere where the big boss comes up. And he's the guy that you have to kill, and the music changes to a fairly hard hard rock track and it intensifies
5: uh, now these songs. these songs are all written by your son weren't they
7: not this one no these ones usually most of them are um, free ones uh, off the internet although the original plan was to get people from the coco community or my son to actually compile the background music so uh, uh of i never got that far. Uh, the next track when you see the alien Will be uh, well. My son was in a band at the time, and uh, he gave me one of his tracks. To so it should be approaching the end of the the level where the uh, alien, the alien uh, superior, whatever he's called, uh, will appear. Here he comes. The game gets pretty intense It throws throws everything at you I don't think I last very long You can see the uh, the borders flashing That's in the that you are about to die Yep. And End there Mission failed So that's it. That's, that's the idea. So if I can go back to that project uh, and use the uh, MP3 player that Bruce is uh, creating, then we might be able to resurrect that, that version of uh, Gunstar that has music. And the, uh, the idea is that you could actually change the music to any other sort of music that you would like by changing the tracks on the MP3 player. Yeah, just rename them to whatever the game's calling yeah, for. And yeah, copy up so, different ones.
11: Will the software of the game automatically change the track?
7: Yes, yes,
11: okay, that's the idea. So the
7: software is controlling the MP3 player.
11: So you would have uh, um, control when you send it out over the um, tracks it plays
7: so that the right song's playing with the right level? Yeah, yeah, yep. that's the whole idea. It, it, it that That wasn't just edited in. The game will actually choose the tracks. It'll actually control it while it while you're playing the game. So it has all the sound effects and the music all playing simultaneously while while the game's playing. That's the whole idea to make make uh, the closest we can to an Amiga game.
6: Okay. Well, with that, we need to push the button.
4: Okay. This concludes another episode of the Coco Nation. The world's leading live interactive talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer. For all things The Coco Nation, visit us on the web at thecoconation.com. We'd love to hear from you. Send feedback, suggestions, even segments via email to show at thecoconation.com the coco nation show would not exist without the community and its cast and crew the coco nation theme song copyright 2022 d bruce moore Mixed, mastered and produced by d bruce moore the coco nation is over join us on the coco discord server coco forever
11: So what am I going to do with the next two hours? (laughs) 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 Lay your cocoa. Right, but but I'm sure your wife.
9: I'm sure your wife would be interested in talking with you.
11: Yeah, she just came came in the door, looked at me. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Then we timed it
5: perfectly.
3: Looked at you and said, "Great, I have to put up with you (laughs) for two extra hours."
5: (laughs) Anyway, Mark's got to run. So uh thanks everybody. Uh Goodbye, thanks, Doug. Everybody. Thanks, Glenn, for being our guest today. Uh thanks for the awesome contras, and we will see you next week.
10: Adios. Right. Bye. Bye.